Welcome to episode 13 of the RF Generation Playcast for April 2015. This is Sean, also known as GreyGhost81. In our first segment, Rich and Steven will be joined by RF Generation member Metal Fro to discuss Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64. Then Steven pulls a double shift this month as he joins Floyd and me to discuss our modern choice, the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot. The discussions in this playcast are as spoiled as a gallon of milk left out in the desert for a month. So play the games first or don't come crying to us over spilled, spoiled games or milk. What? As always, you can listen to the show on Podomatic, iTunes, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Remember to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the incredible games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the playcast. And welcome to the retro segment for episode 13. I'm your host, Rich, uh, or as many of you know me as Single Banana. Um, I always uh, have my co-host today, uh, Mr. Disposed Hero, or Steven. Hey, how's it going, guys? And we've got another special guest on the show today. Uh, a lot of you around the website, um, RF Generation, will know him as the Schmup King. Um, any any of you not familiar to RF Generation, we um, had a Schmup competition December of uh, 2013, um, where we played about eight Schmups and took high scores from those and crowned ourselves a king and made ourselves a very nice wrestling belt. Um, this is something the site, uh, as the playthrough, Everyone's always so busy around the holidays, so we just sort of decide to uh, do something kind of fun for that month, something you know that you can just kind of pick up and put down. But our winner for that month and the King of Shmup, uh, sounds like a great title, was our guest today, and uh, he goes by Metal Fro on the site, uh, but we'll be calling him Josh today. Say hello, Josh. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you on. I know you've been a follower of our playthroughs and have played through quite a few. You're a fairly new member of the site, but uh, we are really happy to have you along and hope you're enjoying yourself at RF Generation. I am. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, like I said, for the retro playthrough in April, we actually tackled the um, sort of classic on the Nintendo 64, Paper Mario. It is the sort of the sequel to a game we've already played on the playthroughs, which is uh, Super Mario uh, RPG from the Super Nintendo. But I won't tell you anything else about it. Steven was our host, and so I'm going to let him take it away and tell you a little bit about the game and its history. So Paper Mario is a role-playing game developed by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo. Uh, it was released for the Nintendo 64 in 2001 in North America, which... It's a very late release in the Nintendo 64's lifespan. It originally began development as Super Mario RPG 2, like Rich alluded to. Um, but because of the paper aesthetic, they changed the title to Paper Mario. Uh, it combines turn-based RPG mechanics with your classic Mario platforming, and there's also some puzzle-solving elements thrown in there. 
And mm-hmm. uh, the game has a little bit of a legacy. It has some sequels on the uh, GameCube, the Wii, and most recently the Nintendo 3DS. Well, before we get started talking about the game, I'm going to go ahead and tell you who the participants were this month on RF Generation. Of course, uh, Disposed Hero and I actually played the game. And, of course, our guest today, Metal Fro. And also, Dougley007 played, Engineer Mike, uh, and I believe Shadow Kurosawa, our site director, played. And also, and someone who recently checked in with us was um, our, actually, RF Generation app developer, uh, which is available on Android uh, to let you house and maintain your collection. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, but our app guy, uh, the Guru, or as Bill would refer to him, the Grrr. So, um, he has... <laughs> Uh, that is our list of participants. Um, so, a little bit about the story. Um, Josh, you want to give us a little bit of an overview about the story, what's going on, how it starts out? Sure. So, according to the manual, it says, uh, far, far away, beyond the sky, way above the clouds, it's been said that there was a haven where the stars lived. In the sanctuary of Star Haven, there rested a fabled treasure called the Star Rod, which had the power to grant all wishes. Using this wondrous star rod, the seven revered star spirits watched over our peaceful world carefully. Very carefully. Then one day a terrible thing happened. The evil King Bowser appeared in Starhaven and stole the star rod. Using its incredible power, he quickly imprisoned the seven star spirits. Completely unaware of the trouble in far-off Starhaven, Mario was back home in the Mushroom Kingdom, eagerly reading a letter from Princess Peach. It was an invitation to a party at the Star Castle, or at the castle, excuse me. (laughs) With much anticipation, he and his brother Luigi set off for the party, oblivious to the chaos that lay ahead. Um, Now, of course, that's from the manual, but realistically, um, Bowser comes in, captures Princess Peach's castle, and takes her out to space. And uh, (laughs) hilarity ensues, as with all Mario titles. Absolutely, the great, the great beginning of every Mario title. Not, it's not cutting edge. It's the same story of Mario, right? The princess is taken away, and you're left to go and save her. Um, but the princess is a little more. Um, how, how should I? How should I put it? A little more involved in the story this time. She is not the quiet uh, captive as she is most of the time. We do have some really neat things kind of going on with the gameplay here, which I'd like to talk about a little bit. And, you know, along with controlling Mario, we also control Princess Peach in these, like, sort of little interludes. The game, I should say, is is sort of divided up in the chapters, right? There's uh, there's a prologue, and then I think, what, eight chapters? Is that correct, guys? Yep, that's right. All right. And so... Um, what happens is is you'll play for a while, you'll control Mario, and then you'll have a smaller kind of segment interlude where you'll control Princess Peach and, um, you know, do some really uh, busy work, maybe, like on the game. Some of it's interesting. Some of the interludes are, you know, kind of fun and neat and challenging, uh, whereas others just sort of help, um, in my opinion, sort of just propagate the story, right? Yeah, there's... You know, some of the sections you're just maybe tracking down a diary or trying to find some information. There's, uh, I think there's one that was like a stealth section. Uh, you have to avoid mm-hmm. the, the Koopas and uh, so just little little odd things like that. Right, right. There's a game show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which we may get into later, which is a little bit, eh. It, it's okay. It, it, it goes quick. You, gotta, you have to answer very quick, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to get a special... Um, item in the game 
but the game is basically uh, sort of based around um, this character, of course, Mario, who we're all familiar with, who my kids are super familiar with and loved, uh, once again, watching me play this game. Uh, but um, I think, as Steven mentioned, it's sort of like a puzzle platformer. There's a lot of platforming, as we know from a lot of Mario games, but there's also some really nice puzzle elements to the game. Um, and um, there's, um, you know, you have allies and things that, um, you know, that you had in Mario RPG as well. So, uh, anyone want to add to that? Yeah, the game kind of jumps back and forth between your kind of standard turn-based battles and then on the overworld you kind of got some uh, Mario platforming segments where you, you know, have to traverse the environment and then there are puzzles. Uh, yeah, it pretty much covers it, I think. Yeah, and it and is um, similar to Mario RPG. It's not like your kind of classic RPG where, um, you know, you're kind of walking around and bam, you just sort of run into enemies, right? Such as your Dragon Warrior, your uh, Dragon Warrior, your Fantasy Star, any of those games. You actually can see the enemies, and you have this uh, you have this ability to you know kind of get in a first attack as well, which is um, you know sort of an interesting element to the game. I can't remember. I mean, we played Mario RPG. That's been, um, oh gosh, that's been uh, about a, I guess about a year and a half ago. Um, it was one of our first sort of uh, group playthroughs that Floyd and I did. Um, and so, and I can't really recall um, off the top of my head, but is there a first strike element in that game as well? I, I think there is. I actually played that game back around November, um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm having trouble recalling if there is. I believe there is, but I'm not 100% okay. sure. All right, and Josh, have you played Mario RPG? Unfortunately, I have not. Um, I didn't have a Super NES as a kid, and mm-hmm. so I've I've just seen footage of it, but have not had the chance mm-hmm. to play it yet. Okay, all right. It's an interesting title if you ever have a chance. I mean, definitely it's one I would uh, definitely recommend picking up. We had a lot of fun with that, um, and we'll kind of be coming back to that um, as we talk about this game. Um, and, and I mentioned with this game, you know, you do control Mario, and... Mario is your character who basically takes damage in the game. Um, you do have allies that accompany you, and they don't really take damage. They can get stunned um, as, as part of um, um, the sort of turn-based RPG system. But um, you do have these allies that sort of follow you along. You've got the sort of lovable uh, young Goombario, who's a, a little Goomba kid with a sideways hat. Uh, you've, got, you've got Cooper, who is a... Um, just a sort of normal turtle, right? The uh, you know the Koopa turtles. Um, you've got Bombette, who is a large bomb. Uh, Paracarry, who is a flying turtle. You've got Bo, who is the ghost, uh, female ghost from the ghost house. Watt, who is a sort of a bulb of electric, uh, a ball of electricity. Sushi, the um, the land uh, walking fish, and uh, Lackaluster, who is. Um, one of the, I can't remember what they're called in the games, but they're sort of like the little, uh, little turtle. Uh, Lakitu. Lakitu, yeah. yes, that's right. That's right. The little, little guys, sort of little turtles that float around in the clouds and throw the spike balls. So, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, um, uh, these allies and, you know, sort of their special abilities. Was there one or two that you found yourself using more than others? And, you know, what reasons, uh. Uh, did you have for that, Josh? You want to start us out? Well, early on, um, I used I used Cooper quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, there are times that you have to use him for his shell-throwing ability in the platforming and sort of overworld sections. But um, mm -hmm. during battle, I used Cooper quite a bit early on um, because he was a lot handier than Goombario early in the game. Yeah, yeah. Goombario has a unique ability where he can look at the um, look at the enemy and he can, um, you know, basically tell you how many uh, more hit points the enemy has, which is a neat feature. But um, as we'll talk a little bit later about the sort of the badge system that goes along with this game, and and it's actually a, an, an ability that you can get later um, through the badge system. Um, how about uh, how about you, Stephen? I. I pretty much progressed uh, with the game, so, you know, as soon as I got Cooper, I never used Goombario. I, th I found him kind of useless, but uh, once I got mm -hmm. Bombette, I used her, and then once I got Paracarry, I used him quite a bit, and then I think once I got Bo, I used her for most of the game. Um, yeah. And then for the later areas, I used Watt almost exclusively because his he can uh, negate uh, enemies' defense. And a lot of the mm -hmm. a lot of the enemies in later in the game have really high defense rating, so that was really useful. Yeah, yeah, and and they have sort of, you know, um, some of, some of your guys I was mentioning before they can't take damage, but they can get stunned. Right. And so some of your enemies may have an ability like electricity, may have spikes and things like that as well. So the the good thing about Watt and and I basically did the same thing you did, you know, sort of progress with the game. But good thing about Watt is he's not affected by a lot of these things that can possibly stun some of the other guys. Right. Um, and so I felt that that was you know a, a really helpful and why I used him for most of the game. Now I didn't finish the game with Watt, and you know maybe we'll talk a little about the Koopa battle. Um, uh, at the end of the game, of course, you're going to fight King Koopa. That's the Mario way, if you will. Um, and I didn't use him for that battle, but, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about that strategy as we sort of move on. So everyone had their sort of ability. Um, they were they were neat, too, in that you could access certain abilities that these characters had, not simply just in the battle sequence, but you could access these abilities um, during the gameplay as well. Um and, um, you know, one of the neat things I thought about Bowser's Castle was that um, you basically had to use almost all of them to get through that section of the game, except for uh, Goombaria, right? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking the same thing. I thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. that they did that. Yeah, I thought they were very nicely implemented into the game. Um, you know, if you got kind of stuck in an area, you kind of had to figure out, um, you know, what it was that you had to do. Um, to traverse that area and, uh, you know, kind of swap them out, which was, which is really neat. Um, just kind of on the fly that you could swap them out. Um, you couldn't actually swap them out on the fly during battle, but there was a badge, if I remember correctly, that, that you could do that. And I'm not yeah. sure what the name of it it's, was. I think it's I called Quick Change. And I used that. That's it. I used that. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I actually started using that because I, there were times where I really wanted to bring in another character, but I didn't want to waste a turn mm -hmm. uh, swapping them out. So that was really useful. Well, I mean, while we're on it, I mean, maybe we should go ahead and talk about some of the badges. I mean, uh, um, were there any specific badges that you guys liked? I think I, I think we talked a little bit about it on the forums, which you can read on RF Generation. Uh, but um, were, were there were there any that you guys particularly liked um, more than others? Josh, I'll let you go ahead and maybe kick us off and talk about that. Well, one of the one of the badges that I that I equipped and tried to use quite a bit. Um, if I could pull up the list here, um, there was a, uh, I can't remember what it's called. I'll have to see if I can find it in the list here, but it was a, a badge that basically allowed you to 
jump on an enemy and then continue to jump on them until you missed the A button oh, press, the action yeah. Power bounce. Yes, yeah, power, power bounce. And yeah. I can never quite get the timing down of that. I can always get the timing down, or almost always, for the first bounce, but I found I had trouble after three or four of them, you know, being able to continue. And I don't know, I, I, I'm sure it doesn't let you go forever, but I'm not sure what the what the cutoff is. And it seemed like... Um, there. Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, it seemed like I, I couldn't get more than three, four, maybe five bounces in any given situation. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit. Stephen, what, didn't you hit around 30 or so, or 20? or? Uh, last I checked at the little sign in Mario's house, it tells you your record. Uh, it said 35, and I, I may have surpassed that slightly, but I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. And um, I think the record, I think we talked about this on the forums a bit, somebody did like 101. Yeah, that's what I saw. Was that's record. crazy. <laughs> Yeah. It is crazy. And this was a mechanic that was brought over from the original um, Super Mario RPG. Right. This was uh, an ability you, you actually got in that game. Um, Mario RPG didn't really use the badge system, but um, you you did gain that ability during the game. And, um, uh, man, I, I don't know. I, I found it aggravating, a ag- really aggravating concept. I could really never get it down in either game. I think I did better in RPG than I did Paper Mario as far as getting it down. Um, for me, I just kind of threw it up to the side. I was like, I just get, I would get so aggravated because I would keep trying to do it and not being able to do it. And I would just get, um, I, I would take off more with a double bounce or with a hammer than anything. So I just kind of like threw it to the side, which one thing that, um, one thing that helped me was, um, I actually stopped watching Mario and looked at the button prompt at the top left of the screen. Oh, okay. And that, yeah. That helped yeah, me yeah. a lot. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I guess I was just trying to go with like feel like what felt right, mm-hmm. you know, what time, but, um, yeah, I got, I, I do remember that button prompt at the top of the screen, but I didn't know that you could like really follow that. And that helped. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a lot better with it once I got the ultra jump for some reason. I'm not really sure why that made much of a difference, but um, it, the pattern is a little different. Like his jumping animation is a little different, so maybe that played into it a little bit. But Okay, yeah. okay. Were, were there any more, Josh, that you used or any more badges that you used? And I guess I should say first that this whole badge system uh, basically... Um, you get so many points, and each badge is worth so many points. You either find badges, you buy badges... Um, and let's say you've got 24, you're allotted 24, uh, badge points. Each badge would be worth like three, six, one, two, and you could use so many badges to sort of aid you and and give you different sort of abilities. Um, in, in the game, when you level up, you can either choose, um, hit points to give you more life, uh, flower points, which are like mana, right? And, um, or, you know, for your, for your mad, your special abilities. And then there were, um, badge points that you could also, um, um, you know, choose in, in that nature. And we'll, we'll talk about that next. But, um, Josh, were there any other badges that you, that you really enjoyed using for this game? Yeah. I, I constantly had the hammer throw equipped once I got it. Hmm. And I used that frequently, especially early on before you had the ability to, to start bouncing on enemies with spikes and things like that. Um, or with enemies that are on the ceiling that you can't just jump on. And sure. uh, so that was a really useful item. And then another one that I used quite a bit, uh, if I can find in the list here, was the Dodge Master. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that helped tremendously. 
you know, once you started to have more enemies in certain sections coming at you, uh, especially if they were, I don't want to say unavoidable, because, uh, you know, unlike a lot of RPGs with traditional grinding elements, you can actually see all the enemies within mm -hmm. uh, Paper Mario. But, yeah, I... It certainly helped with uh, some of those battles where it felt like you couldn't avoid them, or there was like narrow corridor and you run into them, and and so it helped mm -hmm. you to to conserve HP if you were able to more successfully dodge attacks. Is that is that pretty much what it did? Was it just kind of upped your, I, I guess, um, um, sort of upped like the size of the meter where you could hit the button within like a certain time because you have to get the timing right and every enemy has different timing you know for their attacks that this just kind of increase uh sort of that uh invisible hitbox if you will as far as when you could push the button according to a, a guide that i'm looking at it it just said that it it makes that action command for the dodging work more frequently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so okay. I, I found that I had some difficulty with the timing when I first started, but after I got that badge, right. it kind of felt like it was working more frequently and it was I was more successful at it. Mm, okay. I'll put that in the list of badges I wish I had used. <laughs> so. yeah, I, I use that <laughs> it one. sounds like a great I use one. that one for most of the game. As soon as, I, as soon as I got it, I equipped it and never took it off. Yeah. I never used it. Some of the descriptions on some of the badges were sort of odd, mm -hmm. and I felt like that one was odd, like the way it read, and I just, I really didn't understand what it did or, or how much benefit it would give me, so I really never used that badge. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right, Stephen, how about you? Any badges, like, specifically that you liked mm -hmm. or yep. you There was one I started using very late in the game called D-Down Pound, which is, I guess, okay. like Defense Down Pound, but it's a, okay. a hammer... Uh, attack that uh, and this is like you talked about some of the um, uh, descriptions in the game for the badges were, weren't were very clear mm -hmm. so I thought this one actually did something different than what it actually does but I originally thought that it um, like permanently or at least for a short amount of time lowered an enemy's defense rating so you could do mm -hmm. more damage against it but it actually it sort of ignores enemy defense um, which is oh. a little different um, but yeah I use this one almost exclusively for uh, Bowser and uh, a lot of the later enemies in the game. Wow. That would have been helpful yeah, it's, as well. It's also really cheap. <laughs> it only costs like two flower points to use. Whereas, wow, whereas okay. something like Mega Smash, which I considered using against Bowser, costs like six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that was the thing with the game is um, you had to sort of decide what you wanted to do. And I know that um, Jamie, uh, Tech Wizard, who was, who was one of our former hosts... Um, he, we were talking about this online. He was saying that he was using the, um, you know, the hit points up, the flower points up to increase his hit points, um, you know, to increase his mana. Um, it, I did that at first. I thought that would be a good thing to do, you know, just to help, you know, expand my life, get in more attacks and things like that. But as you get into the game, I sort of felt like, you know, I, I'm, I'm using all these flower or these, um, badge points on an item such as that's just going to raise my HP by five. I'm, I'm getting not when I'm getting hit, it's taking off more than five each round. So it sort of felt like maybe I should use some more, um, you know, offensive or defensive badges instead and, you know, negate uh, a lot of the damage uh, that, that was inflicted upon me and, and, you know, and then increasing my damage. And then, you know, in, in that instance, maybe getting the fights over a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's sort of the crux of the game, right? I mean, it sort of balances itself out in that way. Yeah, I, I think I might have used one of those HP or FP 
increasing badges later in the game, but uh, I think mm-hmm. I actually, with, just through my levels, I actually maxed out my HP. Um, okay. So I, I, think I, I think I just didn't have any other badges I wanted to use, so I used one of the FP increasing badges uh, at the end of the game. But, um, yeah, I didn't really use them much um, other than that. Yeah, and I'll throw in some of the badges I used. Um, you guys can comment on these if you want. That's where I made a list online, but I really like Peekaboo. That was the one that allowed you to see the hit points of all the enemies. And, you know, though it didn't increase my damage or my defense or anything, it was just just a nice thing to have, you know, to be able to see that. And, you know, kind of, for me, it helped me plan out my rounds a little bit better. Um, you know, as I was uh, playing enemies, it helped me... Um, realize, okay, if I take this one enemy out, they're not going to get another attack, you know, but if I hit this other enemy, you know, I'm going to have, you know, multiple enemies attacking me this round, so it, it'll, t- uh, you know, there'll be less damage that I'll be taking. Uh, Zap Tap was another one that I used. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. That was when they attacked you. It always took away one uh, he- one of their health when they attacked you, so um, uh, in some instances, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, I wanted, I wanted to use that one after you had mentioned it on the forums, but I never had enough uh, leftover badge points to equip it, so I never got yeah. a chance to mess with it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got some enemies that will attack, like, consecutively, mm-hmm. um, it, that will, a lot of times... That will stop that consecutive did, attack because they will take damage. Did that help out a lot against the um the, the guy at the dojo? The dojo, yeah. Because he, yeah, he, I know in that did. last fight he did consecutive attacks like that, and it, mm-hmm. that was taking a yep. lot of damage against him. I should have thought of, I should have yep, thought yep. to use that tap, but it's, yeah, it yeah, it's it does it just sort of stops you know that repetitive attack yeah. and uh, saves you a lot of HP. Uh, filling finds when I use there's not a whole lot. And this is one of the cool things I liked about this game is, you know, I don't I don't mind games that have um, debuffs, you know, like poisons and things like that. But when it just gets crazy with debuffs and different types of debuffs and you know different uh, potions and things like that, you have to have to um, to take away those debuffs. It gets a little annoying. But this one had um, basically had sleep and poison, right? I believe that was the only two debuffs in this whole game, which was kind of nice. And uh, do you remember any others? Uh, there was sort of a think, dizzy one or something like yeah. that. Yeah, there's dizzy. Yeah, I, I was okay. thinking there was one more that made it so you couldn't attack for a couple turns, but it's basically the same. I think thing it was as dizzy, sleep, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the feeling fine badge it negated all of those, which was which was awesome, um, and it really helps with the Bowser battle because he uh, he has a poison. Uh, so uh, yeah, it really helped me with that. I, battle. Actually, I thought about using that against Bowser, but I didn't, and Maybe I should have, but I felt like the poison wasn't that big of a deal because it just does one uh, hit point of damage per turn. Mm-hmm. So it, not not too much damage, uh, but I guess, it's, yeah, it still helps. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess the other one was the Pretty Lucky Badge is the one I used. Um, I was shocked at, um, you know, uh, you're always trying to dodge and it's tough, but... Uh, having the the badge to increase your luck in this game was awesome. I mean, you, you would just you'd get a break, you know, quite a bit. And the cool thing is, there's an upgrade to that badge if you do the um, there's one of the mail delivery paracarry mail delivery things. There's like a really long one, and if you finish the that very long chain, you get a really cool um, you get a really cool badge like an upgrade to that pretty lucky badge and you can actually wear both luck badges at the same time 
and it really, really helps out. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, I didn't do all uh, those. They, uh, they, I didn't do all those mail delivery things, so I don't think I found that. But I used the pretty lucky yeah. badge after you uh, mentioned it on the forums. I went and tracked it down, and I used it for the rest of the game. And yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty yeah, great. I mean, yeah, it's a really big help. Um, just just to have one or two misses every once in a while is, you know, just great. You know, you know, aside from the blocking. Anything else? Any other badges that you guys want to mention? Anything else you used? I would dovetail on the Feeling Fine badge. That is a sure. really good um, really good badge to have equipped at all times. I know in some of the some of the later levels when there were the piranha plants that would poison you, that, yeah, having that was a big lifesaver. Yeah, yeah. So let's, um, let's talk about this game a little bit um, in terms of sort of what happens when you level up in this game. It's a, it's an odd system. It's, it's one that I, that wasn't quite used to or have ever encountered before. Um, you know, instead of leveling up and then, you know, you get like all your stats, like slightly increased as in most traditional RPGs. And this one, you sort of had a choice, right? You could increase your hit points, your flower points, which is your mana, or you could increase your badge points to allow you to use more badges. Uh, the flower points and the hit points were five, I think, increasing five at, at every time. And your badge points, I believe, is an increase in three. You guys can correct me if I'm yeah, that's wrong right. yep. there. Okay. So, this sort of gave the game a different type of mechanic, too. I mean, you could, there are different ways you could play this game. I mean, you could just keep increasing your health. Um, and I think, um, Stephen, you said that maxed out at some point. Is that correct? Yes, it maxes out at 50. Okay, okay. I didn't realize that. Um, you can also, um, you know, you could also max out your, your flower points so that you can use, you can just use your special abilities all the time. Or you could just do, you know, do your badges and, um, you know, just keep equipping different types of badges and increase offense, defense, or you know, hit points if that's, you know, what you so chose. Um, was there was there any certain method that you guys used? Um, Josh, I'll start with you in, in terms of this. Um, was, you know, how, how did you go about uh, deciding what to choose when you were leveling When I up? first started playing the game, I I was focusing on HP primarily, but, but I kind of mm -hmm. went back and forth and I do HP, flower points, and then I'd, I'd increase the badge points because I'd get a couple badges I wanted to use. But then I'd, I'd kind of always go back mm -hmm. to HP. But toward the end of the game, I started focusing almost exclusively on badge points so I could max that out and use as many badges as possible to give me more attack choices, um, more protections, you know, things like that. And so I actually, I actually maxed out sure. my badge points at uh, 30. Wow. 30. Okay, it maxes yeah. out at yep. 30. Okay, it's good to know. All right. Any any certain method that you use, Stephen? For the most part, I tried to stay pretty well rounded. Um, I guess if maybe I just finished a tough boss fight and I felt like I could have used a little more HP or a little more flower points, and then I would have uh, maybe definitely devoted some levels to those areas. But I think for the most part, I just tried to stay pretty even with it. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's probably what I did. I mean, I just. Try to try to keep it even, you know. I don't think I ever maxed out any anything, to my knowledge, uh, but just kind of kept it sort of even kill. If I felt like, um, as Josh said, if I felt like there were some badges that I had just acquired that I really wanted to be able to use, but 
you know, I, I didn't want to remove some other badges. I think I'd put more points into badges. Um, you know, always try to keep my uh, health up as much as I could. And probably if I ignored any one of the three more than any, it was probably the flower points, which toward the end of the game, I started increasing them quite a bit and really glad I did. I mean, there's, um, there's some pretty tough battles that you'll get into and you're going to need those sort of uh, power attacks um, to help you out in those. And that's a good segue for us. We can talk a little bit about the power attacks. Um, these were sort of, you know, you had your standard attack with Mario. You had your jump, uh, where you could jump on enemies. You also had your hammer, where you could hammer enemies. But then you also had these, um, you know, special attacks that you could use um, that would use up your flower points. And um, these were like the power bounce, I believe, was uh, one of these. Um, and then uh, a lot of the like really nice special abilities uh, of your companions uh, were uh, used uh, through the power attacks. Were there any sort of power attacks that you guys? I know we talked about the power bounce. Any any attacks that you know possibly you used more than others, Stephen? Uh, well, I think I covered the ones for, uh, for Mario through the badges. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think as far as the allies. Um, I know late in the game I used um, Paracarry's Air Raid a lot because it was just a mm -hmm. good hard-hitting attack that would hit all enemies on the screen. Okay. Um, okay. Other than that, uh, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, there was a bunch I used all throughout the game, but I uh, having trouble recalling any that I may have stuck with. <laughs> I, know, I know sushi came in handy a lot in the volcano yeah, yeah. level uh, yep, against yep. fire enemies with the water-based attacks. Um, Lack of Lester came in handy with some of those. I mean, he's got he's got one ability that I use where he's throwing out all the little spike balls and stuff, and I can hit multiple things on the screen. Doesn't mm -hmm. take off a lot from anything, but there was one particular boss battle where that was a lifesaver. Um, no pun intended. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, mainly, you know, I tried to do main attacks. You know, sort of powered up main attacks, and um, you know. Um, if there were multiple enemies on the screen, would try to use some of these, um, you know, special power attacks when I could with, with, um, with, with whatever companion I was using. Um, the game's set up in a way that, you know, when you get a new character, you're going to use that new character quite a bit, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and and it just kind of it flows that way, which is which is nice. I mean, it it gives you kind of an idea of how each of these characters are used, and then you know when you get to the kind of the final level, you know you're you're sort of using the different abilities and trying to sort of hash it out um, and decide which ones are better than others. Uh, how about you, Josh? Any certain power attacks that you use quite a bit, or uh, do you enjoy yeah. using in the game? Yeah, I relied on the uh, the charge hammer quite a bit early on, but ever since mm -hmm. uh, I gained the ability to stomp on enemies with spikes, I started using the, the power bounce quite a bit. And uh, as far mm -hmm. as the companion yeah. attacks, yeah, I uh, I really liked Sushi's two attacks because the, the squirt attack, which was a, against a single enemy, uh, would deal quite a bit of damage if you, if you charged it right. And then her tidal wave right. um, command was really effective if you could power it all the way up. Uh, with you know, if it was five button presses. I think you had to do to do the sequence right, and of course it's different every time. But if you could power up all the way, it would deal a significant amount of damage to all enemies on screen. So it really yeah. came in handy on some of the some of the spots where you'd 
you'd touch a, an enemy on the screen, and then in battle mode, that one enemy would become four. <laughs> so, Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the power attacks were cool, and, and I like the way that um, one of the things I really liked about the game was the way they implemented different power attacks, and then there were different combinations of both your thumbstick and your controls. Um, you know, as far as button pressing to sort of implement those special attacks and do more damage with those special attacks. Um, characters like bow, you know, with that bow slap where I had to, con I had to push the uh, thumbstick to the left as quick as I could. That was a little annoying, a little bit uncomfortable uh, with the way the controller's set up, right? I mean, it's sort of hard to push your mm. thumb to the left that quick, that fast. So I'd find myself... I'd find myself like pulling my right hand off and using yep. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I'd have to completely readjust my left hand and, uh, you know, flick the control stick that that way. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, I used like I said before, I used bow a lot, so I used that. I had to do that quite a bit throughout the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I I did the same thing yeah. for any of those techniques or attacks that required uh, rapid tapping of the of the thumbstick. I did the same thing and moved my hand over to the far left side of the controller and then use my right hand to just kind of flick the stick as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which was, which is rather annoying. I mean, I gotta say, I mean, I, I think some of the, I, I like the, I like the concept, you know, that you're doing different things, um, for, for different characters. Uh, but you know, I found myself just being so annoyed by that, that I, I probably used what, because I, because that was the one where you just held down like a, and you waited for it to fill up and then you just let go, you know, I mean that, you know, something as simple as that. I mean, I feel like some of the characters, I might have used some more of the abilities if, you know, if, you know, I wasn't afraid I was going to get carpal tunnel just trying to like pull off some of these. Right. Yeah. And I noticed that with, with that and also in some of those instances where you had to rapidly press the A button to either yeah, create yeah, an yeah. attack or in some instances avoid an attack. Uh, or minimize the damage that you yeah. take. If you're not hammering on that A button like your life depended on it, you're going to take more damage, or you're not oh, going to yeah. your attack's not going to be as effective. And so, it's it's a little oh, bit, yeah. I don't know, a little bit too much manual dexterity, I think, for some of those things. Absolutely. I mean, I can't just use my thumb and sit there and hit A to make it do that fast enough. I have to pull my hand completely off the controller, put the controller on my lap, and then use my index finger to like hit it as fast exactly. as I can. You know, I mean, that's you know that that was a you know that, to me that was kind of a flaw in the game, and I, I thought it, I like again like the idea. I think it's great. You know that everyone has different methods and abilities and things like that, but I, I think that some of them should have been thought out maybe a little bit better. Um, you know, and that was just kind of my thought on, you know, those power attacks, but really a neat concept. So, and along with this, uh, the power attacks, we had other abilities as, um, as Josh mentioned, as he was, um, uh, doing a famous job of reading the story <laughs> overview there, um, sounded like something I could read to my kids at night. Um, the premise of the game is really to, um, Bowser has captured the star rod. He's imprisoned all of the, um, the stars, the seven um, star spirits, and you're going to rescue them. But when you rescue them, they also give you these things called star abilities, um, which are special abilities, um, you know, that you can use uh, during the course of playing. They they sort of recharge over time, um, and it's pretty cool. It adds, uh, you know, a neat a little element to the game. Um, and so... Um, Steven, are any star abilities that you found yourself using more than others? Did you rely on them pretty heavily, or 
you know, not so heavily? I think out of seven of them, I used only used three throughout the whole game. Um, <laughs> that was a refresh, which restores five okay. HP and five FP, which is okay, yep. pretty useful in the early parts of the game. Later in the game, it doesn't really, yep. that's not really a whole lot, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. I used the Star Storm, I believe it's called, the second one you get. Yes. It just rains stars down on your enemies, uh, does seven damage every time, it completely ignores yep. defense and everything. Uh, yep. That was a really good one to pull out uh, during groups of enemies or maybe boss fights. Yep. And I used uh, Smooch a couple of times, which restores, I think, 20, mm-hmm. 20 HP. Yep, that's right. And I think that's those right. are the only ones I used. And then you would have used the last one as well, of well, course, yeah, you have, because you have to use you're forced it. to use yeah. that. <laughs> right, yeah, the right, star right. beam. How about you, Josh? Does that sound familiar? Is that that what pretty you much did, echoes or? what I did. You know, I, I used focus to try and build star power early on, and then I relied heavily on refresh at the at the beginning once I got mm-hmm. that skill, and then I continued to kind of abuse that a little bit throughout the game. But once I got smooched, then I, I started using that almost exclusively to heal the 20 HP. And yeah, the, the Star Storm I did use a few times, particularly during uh, a couple of the boss battles where the bosses have minions. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree with, with you guys. I mean, those, you know, out of the seven, those are the ones you primarily use. Um, I don't know. I mean, I felt like the others are just... They were okay, but, you know, not something that I used quite a lot. I think I used, oh, I can't think of what it was. Uh, it, It's the one that kind of, like, puts to sleep or knocks out and confuses enemies. Do you, do you guys remember which one that was? It's one of the later ones you get. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but I, I do remember seeing one like that. Yeah. Yeah, I used that against Junior Troopa, who you have to fight, like, five times in the game. Um, I used that on him in his last form, and that really, really worked out well. Um, I can't remember that, but but other than that, I'm I'm with you guys. I mean, I used basically the same star abilities, and probably Star Storm. I used more than anything. I mean, that was just sort of like old reliable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it I think it took was it two or three uh, bars of star power. So. Um, you know, as you get toward the end of the game, you can use it like a lot more, you know, in your boss battles, which was, which was really, really nice to have that to rely upon. So, but, uh, yeah, a, a neat thing in the game, but, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but for me, it was sort of like, I felt like it was a neat concept. I feel like, you know, there are a lot of those abilities I, I wasn't using a lot, and I felt like that was sort of empty anytime that, like, there are abilities that I'm not, um, you know, taking advantage of but i'm earning i kind of feel like it's it's almost a waste you know yeah i can see that it really was a cool mechanic they added maybe a bit underutilized i mean you get like i think by the end of the game you have seven of these star points or whatever you want to call it uh the Mm -hmm. the little bar fragments Um, right so you kind of have to use these abilities pretty sparingly um Mm because you only have so many uh so much star power to use. But along in the game, as far as abilities, other things you get are sort of items, equipment, sort of upgrades and things like that. We've already talked about badges quite a bit, uh, but uh, we can talk a little bit about the items and things like that in the game. Were there any that you guys particularly relied a, a, a lot on? I, I felt like, for me at least, you know, I felt like I relied on mushrooms a good bit, especially once you got to super shrooms. 
Uh, you know, and you could heal at least 10. That was pretty nice. And then, you know, later in the game, you get the ultra shrooms, uh, which, you know, I had those. I did, I didn't really have to use them a lot throughout the game, but, uh, you know, it was, it was nice to have those sort of tucked away. Um, so, yeah. uh, Josh, anything that you used in particular? Any yeah, items? Yeah, the mushrooms, such? the, the mushrooms and then the super shrooms for sure. I also, uh, found that I used the fire flower quite a bit early on for large groups um, mm-hmm. because I could tick them up quickly yeah. and either take no damage or minimal damage so I could kind of wade through those sections without having to go back to town to take a nap or things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. attack items like that I, I used frequently um, whenever I'd find yeah. them. Absolutely, especially multiple mob enemies, you know, sort of trash mobs. Sometimes those were kind of nice, you know, just to have one in there to use. Um, you know, one of one of the um, one of the items I used I thought was like way overpowered and pretty awesome, especially um, during the dojo fight was the stone cap, which allowed you basically to t- go a few rounds without taking any damage. I don't know if you guys use that one or not, but it just basically gave you like two or three rounds of. Uh, um, you know, not taking any damage while you could just deal out damage. I thought, wow, man, that's really overpowered. So I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in the. Um, I think you come across one or two uh, out in the world, but uh, you can you can buy them in uh, the main town, Toad Town. Hmm. Um, and so um, it's pretty nice, especially if you haven't finished the dojo part yet. And you want to do that little side quest? You can do that. But uh, Stephen, were there any items that you? maybe used quite a bit, or um, did you find items useful in this game at all? Um, I mostly just held on to healing items, uh, items that healed HP and FP. Um, later in the game, I, I bought a bunch of the life shrooms uh, that will, if you lose all your HP, they'll essentially just bring you back to life with 10 HP. Um, I didn't really use any of the attacking items in the game, because your inventory space is so limited that I mostly just held on to the healing items mm-hmm. um yeah that's pretty much it for me mushrooms and uh the various fb healing items it was like i don't even remember what they were called yeah. they had some funny names but yeah yeah, yeah. um did you guys did you guys do any um in the in the toad town there's a there's a girl tasty i think is her name and she's the the cook in the town did you guys do any of the combining of any of the items and um, you know, make any kind of super items that way? No, not really. Uh, I, and I'm, I feel like there was something that was pretty good that I did make, but I think I just completely forgot mm-hmm. about it and uh, never yeah. made it again. But I'm, there's probably some really good combinations. Some really yeah, I think items, it's a, is it the jamming jam and jelly that gives you like oh. that will just max out your mana? Yeah, is that the one? Yeah. Uh, if you if you do that, the jam and jelly, the ultra shroom. You do oh. the ultra jelly, which is, you know, it, it's basically the, it fills up all your life and it fills up all of your uh, mana at the same time. That's a pretty yeah. cool one for like, <laughs> for in game stuff. It's way overpowered, huh. but it, it was, I, I want to say this is just another one of those concepts that just to me in the game just didn't seem very fleshed out. I mean, it was, you know, you know, you could use those, you could go and, and have things cooked, but it wasn't necessary to, to beat the game at all. I mean, you didn't have to do it. It was just something that sort of, to me, sound, felt like it was kind of thrown in at the last minute. Oh, well, this would be cool. But, you know, you, you didn't have to do that to, 
you know, I, f- I feel like finished the game at all. You know, it didn't give you any sort of extra, you know, power or, you know, or, or anything, you know. It's just kind of nice, but, you know, again, just a, a part of the game I think most people playing through it are just going to kind of ignore. Yeah, it, ca- so, it, it definitely felt tacked on. It. on. it was almost like uh, almost like they looked at some of the Harvest Moon games and said, hey, we could do that, and they added it to the game, but like you said, they didn't really flesh it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, we, we've sort of talked about the characters already and everything. Uh, one of the things in the game that you could do is um, come across these things called super blocks, which are kind of nice. Um, you could upgrade your character to make your character stronger, um, give them some different abilities and things like that as you upgraded them. I think there was like a super upgrade, and then the second was the ultra, is that yep. right? Ultra upgrade? Yeah. Um, did you guys happen to find all the upgrades? Is it even possible to upgrade all your characters in this game? I think I was missing like one. Yeah, I, think I found all but yeah, one. I was missing one at the end of the game. I, I, I'm pretty sure you can. Uh, I think there's enough to fully upgrade everybody, but I, yeah, yeah. I, missed, I missed that last one. So Gumbario didn't get his ultra upgrade. Yeah. So <laughs> same for me. <laughs> yeah, poor poor Gumbario. You know, everyone ignores Gumbario, who I've heard from a lot of people just sort of online and everything that he's actually a a really good character. I, I don't know if that's a joke. If it's a running joke, but I've, you know, I'm like, you know, maybe I'm just getting sucked into some like big joke, but I, I've heard from other people that, you know, he's a, you know, fairly decent character and powerful character toward end game to use, but yeah, he, he, he didn't get my upgrade. So, uh, you know, I kind of let that go. Uh, but, uh, we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit too about, um, we also, um, along with, um, you know, the, the main quest and going from world to world and finishing chapters in this game, there are quite a few side quests in the game. Um, we had these listed on our site as achievements, and if people could finish up those, uh, you know, like delivering all the letters, what were some of the other side quests? There was the uh, Koopa Coot side quest, right, with the, uh, the old turtle in the Koopa Town. Uh, that that had you go on a fetch quest and do all that. I, I finished that one. Um, I, I delivered all the letters. Um, I, I didn't do the badges. I know that's sort of a side quest. You can get all the badges and all the uh, uh, the the crystals, but I did use the um, the the uh, the badge that lets you sort of locate um, the little star crystals, and uh, that was pretty cool. I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, and for those of you who don't know or haven't played the game or interested in playing the game, um, if you find these like little star fragments is what they're called, I believe, um, you can actually take those and trade those, uh, to one of the guys in the game and, uh, earn some badges, which is, which is pretty fun. Um, you know, neat concept, um, you know, for the game, uh, and again, something I, you know, enjoyed quite a bit. Did you guys complete any of the side quests or, you know, decide you wanted to do them or just focus on sort of finishing the game? Early on, I I think I was intending to do everything we set up as achievements, but I, I got to where I just wanted to finish the game, so I, I definitely didn't find all the star pieces or the badges. I didn't deliver the letters. I didn't complete all those errands. Um, I did earn the diploma from the dojo. Okay. Uh, I thought okay. that would be, uh, I would get some good experience for finishing that, but you actually don't get experience for beating the... <laughs> the <laughs> you get a worthless yeah, diploma. Yeah, I know. I, was like, I don't think you get anything I, 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 I for that. I looked it up. To see like what what does it actually do for you, and all it does is some of the NPCs kind of uh, just were like, "Wow, you you got the diploma from the dojo." 
you know, they don't. Yeah, you know, wow. It's not pretty useless, actually. But yeah, we can. What can I do with this? Uh, strut around. Yeah, <laughs> there was a. There was the the little quiz show that Chuck yeah. Chuck Quizmo. Uh, I may have got like that's right. got like three or four of those questions right, but he just kind of shows up randomly, so you don't really, you know, know where he is uh, at any given time. Yeah, I think they're like how many of those are? Is it like sixty four yeah, or something like that? Yeah. Oh, Nintendo 64. How clever. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's like 64 of those and you can answer them. And I always found myself saving, like hitting the block when I found him in a town. I'd always hit a block and save it just in case I missed one of the questions. And that way I could just like cut it off and cut it back on. He'd be in the same place and, you know, and that way we wouldn't miss any. But, you know, I was kind of like, man, I'm not going to walk around this game for this long yeah. to find this guy 64 times. It's ridiculous. I probably... I don't know. I'm probably in the 20s or 30s, you know, with the times I found him. Um, especially doing these little side quests and tracking things down, delivering letters. I ran into him a lot more than you guys probably did if you didn't do any side quests. So um, I, I would, you know, do the little quiz show when I would find him. Josh, you did you do any side questing on this game? You know, I'm kind of in the same boat. I did some at the beginning. Uh, I also did the dojo and uh, some of the early stuff, but yeah, I kind of found the same thing. Um, I got about halfway through the game, and I stopped actively seeking out star pieces. You know, I'd find them, <laughs> and I'd grab them. But I just kind of stopped doing side quests and just focused mainly on the, the main story. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the story and the, the areas and such. Um, there, As we mentioned before, there's a prologue. There's eight chapters on this game. Um, I'd like to get you guys thoughts sort of on the worlds and like the world kind of the worlds that were kind of developed in this game, um, and and sort of what you thought, good and bad on those. Steven, you want to start us out with that? All right. Uh, for the most part, I I didn't really care for much of the uh, general areas, like the like kind of the paths and everything. Um, I mean, you had there was like a jungle area and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, it was a snowy area, and there's I think there's one where you're kind of up in the clouds. Yep. Um, yep. I I guess for me that where this game really shines were the dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, some of my favorites were like the Koopa Fortress and the mm-hmm. yeah the Boo Mansion, which was interesting. There were no enemies; it was just sort of a puzzle environment. Right. Yeah, I was a big fran- fan of Dry Dry Ruins. I really liked that puzzle. I thought that was a lot of fun. That was it's probably one of my f- favorite boards on the game. That was like the pyramid area. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. second, second one. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, pretty much all the dungeons I more or less liked, except for maybe uh, I didn't really care much for Shy Guy's tool toy box. Yeah, you kind of yeah. shrunk down and you go into this toy box thing, and it's a sort of a strange environment. Did any of you had any problems finding or figuring out how to get the Shy Guy's toy box? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, not, not yeah. too much. Just, uh, I mean, you can talk to some of the NPCs and sort of figure it out, but yeah. um, and you know where you need to be. But for me, I was a little like disoriented in what I was supposed to do when I got into the room. You know what I mean? I I, I don't remember talking to anyone that said, "Well, you need to use Boo and make and so that you can disappear, so yeah. that when someone comes in, well, you know they won't see you, and you can figure it out." Yeah, but then that, yeah, that one shy guy, he'll come in there. And he'll just sort of, if he sees you, he'll run out. So I think after he did that oh, two, or, okay. two or three times, I was like, well, let me just turn invisible and see what he does. And okay. He, he yeah. He goes through the little yeah. hidden hidden door. 
yeah, I just couldn't figure out what to do. And so I just kept trying different things. And that was one of the things I decided to try and it just happened to work out. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I just sort of got lucky, you know, there, but I, I feel like had I not got lucky, it would have been something I would have been stuck on for quite some time. It's not, there's nothing like ex expressively really implied in the game unless, you know, I, I may have happened to miss an NPC, you know, um, that, that would have given me some sort of clue as to that. But, uh, but yeah. Um, and Josh, how about you? Uh, are there any, what did you think about the areas and sort of the way the game was set up in that? Yeah, I, uh, I will echo the boot mansion. That was a, a, a neat location and kind of a cool deal. Um, and uh, Dry Dry Ruins was cool also. Um, and I, I, the thing with the toolbox, I kind of liked that. You know, I thought it was reasonably clever how they kind mm -hmm. of, they kind of, they, they don't tell you explicitly what you're supposed to do, but you kind of, like you say, trial and error, you kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. The one area that I had a lot of difficulty with was the uh, Forever Forest. Uh, and I suppose I'm, uh, okay. I'm hoping I'm not the only one, but uh, that seemed like uh, until I kind of figured out the whole deal with like the flowers uh, that, uh -huh. that moved and, and sort of talked, if you will, yeah. uh, to, to kind of use that as sort of a guide, mm -hmm. that that was, uh, that was the one area when I first started in that, in that spot that I was just sitting there scratching my head going, how am I supposed to find my way through this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think there's an NPC that mentions something about, like, how you're supposed to do that. Um, you know, look for something, they just tell you to look for something that's different, but I could see how that would be, like, completely confusing to someone. Um, and, and if you get lost out there, I mean, man, you know, good luck. Um, that's, it, it's sort of tough, and it is, it is a rather confusing, uh, piece and part of the game. Um, yeah, um, I, <laughs> I think one of the things I liked most about the game, and um, I'm, I might be the only one here, but I really liked the different boards. I really liked, you know, in that sort of um, Mario way, um, you know, especially with the newer games, um, how there's these different boards, you know, and they take on sort of their persona. You know, you've got a desert board, you've got a snow board, um, you know, you've got, you've got a board... Um, um, you know, a lot of the castles, you know, there were several castles, the fortress, the ruins, and then uh, Tubba Blubba's castle and Bowser's. And, um, it, you know, I, I really like that. The flower fields was neat. Lava Lava Island, um, probably one of my least favorite, but, you know, it, it took on this sort of concept, um, you know, where every area was different, you know, different type of foliage, different type of landscape. And that's something that I really typically like about a lot of Mario titles is that it feels like it takes you to different places. You, you know, you always have these different elements and they do a good job with that. I, I also thought that, you know, a lot of like what you're supposed to do at each place and all of the different situations um, that were sort of going on in each area were kind of neat and added a lot to the game. Uh, like the little side stories, the mini stories within the game, you know, and I thought the areas kind of helped flush that out. Um, yeah, so. I would I would agree. I mean, there was a lot of variety um, in the environments. Um, I just I mm -hmm. guess I just found exploring those areas kind of tedious for me mm -hmm. for me personally. Uh, sure. Um, like I said, for me, the highlight of the game were, were the dungeons. Um, mm -hmm. like like you said, you, you mentioned the lava lava island. Um, and I. And I didn't like exploring the uh, 
the island itself, you know, the jungle. But uh, right, the, right. the volcano dungeon area, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's a little more linear for, mm-hmm. you know, uh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, w- I would say that that uh, it's it's kind of a, I think it, it doesn't strike enough of a balance, perhaps, between traditional Mario tropes in terms of the locations, um, mm-hmm. you know, things like the desert and uh, some of these other locations that recall a lot of previous Mario games, so you want that touchstone there, but I think they could have done more with, with some locations that were unique to the Paper Mario universe, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think they were all well done. They were different enough that you really felt like you were in different locations every time. They looked different enough and all of that that, you know, it was a different experience for each one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I agree. Like some of the some of the areas were, you know, rather annoying, especially to me, I think Flower Fields was one of the more annoying because it was like it seemed like you're doing a lot of backtracking back and forth. Yeah. Going over sort of the same areas and stuff like that. And I tend to um, you know, really dislike backtracking in games. I don't think I'm alone here. I think a lot of people, a lot of people feel that way unless they're playing like a, you know, like a Metroidvania game. Uh, you know, backtracking kind of can can really suck unless it's done really well. You know, in in some games, um, it is done really well. But um, yeah, I found that I found I did find that a little aggravating sometimes. Um, and along with the areas, you know, the normal areas, we also had uh Toad Town tunnels. Uh, which was, you know, within the um, Toad City, and it allowed you to kind of open up areas and gain, you know, like, really good access uh, between the different areas. And um, I-, I thought that was a pretty neat concept for the game. Um, you know, it wasn't a huge world, wasn't a huge area, but um, um, I-, I thought I thought it was neat, you know, how you could open up these different areas through the pipes underneath the uh, underneath the town. It was a lot of fun for me, yeah. I thought. And yeah. a few little boss battles down there, too, right? With the bloopers, yep, yeah, little recurring <laughs> boss fight. Uh, I, I would agree. I think it was really uh, a good idea to put in the the tunnels. You know, you have these uh, shortcuts to get to all the different towns in the game. Which, sure. which, yeah, I didn't really make much use of it because I didn't do a whole lot of uh, backtracking for collectibles mm-hmm. or side quests. But if you were doing that, then it would certainly come in handy. Absolutely, and it's. Yeah, I mean, just going to being able to pop from one place to the other like quickly, and and that's one of the things I can say that's really good about the game is they used um, other than the prologue um, when you got to Toad Town. Toad Town was sort of like this hub. It was kind of it was sort of like the central piece of the game, right? Yeah. Um, and from there, you like you would you know just jump on a train at the bottom of Toad Town, go somewhere, go down the pipes, access a secret door. Uh, the toy box was inside the town. Um, you know, the the um, the ghost forest was right outside of the town. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of like traveling that you had to do, and and they didn't make up some kind of silly sort of travel system. Um, you know, within the you know the confines of the game, I think that that, that it was a really good idea, and everything always felt sort of close and, and not too far apart. Uh, which is which is something that you know that I, that I would say is a was a thing that was really well done with this game. And, uh, yeah, I, don't I agree. Okay. Not a whole lot of, uh, like, if you want to backtrack and go to these other areas, you don't have to just walk there for 10 minutes, you know? You can just yeah. go, hop in a little pipe or take the train, like you said, and it just takes you there. Uh, or yeah. or it's just right outside the town. 
Yeah. yeah and that yeah. and that became really helpful in one place that when when I was going through the the game, I did not stop and talk to all the bub bulbs to get the seeds that you need oh, in order to yeah. open up chapter six. So I right. I had to backtrack and go back to Forever Forest and one other location to do that. So for me, that came in very handy that you could just kind of go right to those areas from that toad town and didn't have to do a lot of of retracing your steps through areas to get to those places and, and get those items. Yeah, yeah. And those seeds, that was that was kind of cool. You know, you get those bulbs and that becomes like you, you sort of find those as you're going and that sort of gets implemented into a um, your ability to access like your... Um, it was the the sixth world, the flower fields, yep. uh, which which was pretty cool. Uh, but uh, luckily, I, I didn't miss the bulb in the Forever Forest first time I went through it. I don't know why or or how. I just kind of stumbled upon it. But I thought to myself, man, this could be really troublesome for someone uh, who who doesn't like sort of stumble upon that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, did, did it take you a while to figure that out, Josh? As far as how to or where that was at or how to get it? Uh to be honest, I uh, I consulted an FAQ just because uh, yeah I knew that I had to go back to Forever Forest to get one after I after I found out that I needed those yeah um, so I went and looked and then they said Forever Forest and I was like oh great so uh, <laughs> I went and just looked up to see how I could easily find it so I could just go get it real quick and then open up Chapter Six. I can't blame you if that would have happened to me right there. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anytime I get stuck and, you know, uh, something of that nature, yeah, I'm going to consult the guide, no doubt. Yeah. That's why they're out there. I, I did the same thing. <laughs> I, I think I was missing one or two of the bulbs, and I just grabbed okay. my – I actually have a strategy guide for this game. I just grabbed that and saw where the last one or two were that I needed. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the um, the artwork and the music of the game. Um this was the first Paper Mario game, and stylistically, it gets its name Paper Mario from the sort of hand-drawn animations, and um, they're like flat pieces of paper that sort of flip around, and it, it sort of will. You can you can make Mario kind of spin and get through areas a little bit quicker by you know kind of spinning or spin through enemies and such. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about the music and the the art style for this game. Uh, Steven, you want to start us off? Yeah, well, if we want to talk about music, I I, I mentioned this to you, Rich, but I, I was not a fan of the music in this game. I mm -hmm. thought most of it was yeah. pretty bad, actually. Um, it, it gets a little better later in the game, um, mm -hmm. but early on in the game, I thought most of the tracks were pretty bad. Uh, yeah, sort of some remix classic yeah, tracks some, in there. Yeah, some remix classic ones, and those are probably the highlight for the most part. Um, most mm -hmm. of the original tracks I, I didn't find to be too great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I kind of echo that. A lot of the music later in the game was more well composed. One thing that I found mm -hmm. early on is that um, the battle theme became excruciatingly annoying <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. Um, after I'd been playing it for a while, I kind of learned to tune it out. And then here, just in the last week, as I was playing it, I kind of started listening to it again. And I, I guess, I don't know, if my perspective hasn't really changed per se, but I find it less annoying now than it did when I first started playing the game and was 
was doing so many battles that at least it's uh it's catchy and it's bouncy and it kind of has that energy that you want with uh, a mario title um yeah so yeah musically i think the game has strength later in the in the game there's some good good mm-hmm. tracks and yeah. interesting music but definitely that battle theme is uh tends to great uh, I, I yeah think, no. I, think I agree I, I just sort of learned to tune that out that battle theme because i'm actually trying to remember it right now and i all I can think of is the battle theme from Super Don't Mario RPG. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just it, it won't it won't come to mind. I, all I can think of is the music from Super Mario RPG. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a guy on a I believe it's Atari Age that, uh, or it's either Atari Age or Nintendo Age that uh, actually makes records like vinyl soundtracks. I can guarantee you if he does a Paper Mario 64 soundtrack, I will not be buying it. <laughs> uh, there, there, there really wasn't, I mean, I wouldn't pop this in my CD player, you know. There's nothing that really, you know, there's nothing really that stands out um, and, and makes it like a great soundtrack. Um, you know, there's it, nothing really special about it. I mean, they're, they're remixing some of the old, um, you know, uh, classic tracks. And, you know, like you said, it gets a little bit better, and but there's a lot of, a lot of annoying sounds and uh, music that um, that sort of go along with this game, and um, I, I wouldn't say they meld it in, but I, I really don't think that they put a lot, uh, probably put as lot, put enough, you know, effort into uh, the music in this game. One now, in the oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say one thing that I find interesting about Paper Mario versus a lot of the earlier Mario games, and as far as the soundtrack is, the earlier Mario games are very sparse in terms of the music. There are a lot of mm-hmm. Uh, very specific themes for specific world types or areas and other than a change in overworld music or something like that it's it's a lot of the same stuff or variations on mm-hmm. a theme but they're all well composed paper mario on by contrast has a lot of music in it but there's not a lot of it that i would say is extremely well composed and so there's only yeah. a handful of songs in there that are truly memorable or yeah worth going back to like you say sure it's a great point yeah, agree. So the artwork, well, we can start talking about that a little bit. I'll I'll kind of kick it off and just say that, you know, one of the, you know, neater things about this game is probably the hand-drawn art. I like it. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I don't know that something that was ever really seen in a game before, this sort of, like, um, drawn out, and it's, it's become sort of a popular thing in games now. Um We'll be playing um, Kirby's Epic Yarn uh, next month on the modern side. and It has some really beautiful kind of hand-drawn looking stuff, crafty uh, looking things. Um, one of my favorite games, and I don't know if you guys have played uh, Alien Hominid, uh, but it's sort of like a Contra, but hand-drawn. And I've just, ever since, I've just been really obsessed with this sort of style uh, and this this sort of like really cartoony hand-drawn art style. And, um, you know, for me, Paper Mario... Uh, I think it was really well done. It's a really beautiful element to the game. I don't want to say I I love the art style, but I didn't dislike it. I I did like it. I thought it looked good. Um, I actually read an excerpt from a review somewhere that said that um, they didn't really make much use uh, of the uh, sort of paper aesthetic in in the game Mm -hmm. in terms of like making that more of a gameplay mechanic. Um, I, I it's hard for me to remember. I want to say they do that in some of the later games. 
the thousand year door. Yeah. Um, I've I've heard they use that. Yeah, it's. I I think I read a similar review. It's like like there's these jail cells with these bars. Like why can't you just turn sideways I, and I walk through the, the bars? I was thinking the same exact thing. Uh, in yeah, Bowser's yeah. Castle. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I'll dovetail on that and say yes. Uh, my my first introduction to the Paper Mario series was the thousand year door. And yeah, there are spots in that game where you're in jail and you can do that turn sideways and that's a mechanic that's frequently used in the in the GameCube mm-hmm. game to where you can mm-hmm. turn sideways and sneak through narrow areas and things and so the paper aspect of it is more well utilized in mm-hmm. the Thousand Year Door and then in Super Paper Mario on the Wii um so i would agree that the that the utilization of the paper mechanic kind of falls short in the first game aside right. from a few aesthetic things like you know when mario goes to take a nap and it sort of slides under the <laughs> yeah, slides under the covers, yeah. But but uh, I actually really like the art style, and having played the GameCube game first and only got the um, the N sixty four original title within the last year, I was surprised at how good the game looked on the N sixty four as compared to the GameCube version. Um, oh wow! Especially when um, everything on the N sixty four, like a lot of that generation was moving headlong into the 3D realm. And, of course, there are some mm-hmm. some 3D polygon things within the game as well, but since so much of it is focused on that 2D sort of flat style, I was really surprised at, at A, how good it looked on the N64, mm-hmm. and B, um, how, how, um, how well it, it sort of represented what they were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's and then just to kind of echo what you guys are saying. I mean, the mechanic, you know, using that sort of paper mechanic and that ability, it was really lacking in this game. But you know, I think it was more of like an aesthetic than it was a mechanic for this game. You know, it's just a just a look. You know, that they were really going for. And I thought, I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, I thought, I thought it looked. You know, actually, I thought it looked really good. And uh, probably one of my favorite aspects of this game was the art style. Um. And and I know Josh, I know you haven't played um, Super Mario RPG, but um, you know I feel like we would kind of do this um, review sort of a disservice if we didn't talk about um, Super Mario RPG and how it sort of compares to this game. And uh, um, so I'll let I'll let Steven sort of start us off talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I played Super Mario RPG maybe about six months ago. It's not the it's not okay. the first time I ever played it, but uh, <clears throat> I, I was I wanted to revisit it, so I did, and uh, I, I guess I kind of felt like this game would be almost more the same in a way. I mean, did it? But let me stop you for a second. Is this is this sort of the reason that you picked Paper Mario for the playthroughs? You think? Yeah, that, yeah, that has, has a lot to do with some, that. Yeah, okay. they played a part in, in my okay. decision. Okay. Um, this game's actually pretty different in some ways. It's similar in some ways as well, but um, it's it's much more simplistic um i think you can kind of tell it was intended for a younger audience uh yeah um yeah. which super mario rpg is kind of a little more simple and lighthearted also mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. they dialed it back even more with this game um uh you know in terms of gameplay you know you still have rpg mechanics and you still have some of the on-screen platforming and a little bit of puzzle solving but uh I feel like Super Mario RPG is a little more traditional in its RPG uh, mechanics, mm-hmm. whereas this game it's yep. it's it's so simple. Uh, I mean, I guess that's that's probably a word I'm going to keep 
keep coming back to because mm-hmm. it is just a very simplistic game. But uh, even like uh, you don't really have much in the way of a party. Like with Super Mario RPG, you had like a three character party, and each character had their own individual hit points sure. and and what uh, I guess flower points. I I think they still use flower points in that game. Um, mm-hmm. They all had their own attacks whereas everything in, in this game feels linked to mario like they kind of share mm-hmm. hp with mario and uh flower yeah. points with mario and um yeah just you only have one thing to track really yeah or one yeah one individual to track yeah and, and i'll kind of echo that you know with the scoring too i felt the same way as is that the scoring in this wasn't like the traditional rpg scoring the the leveling in uh paper mario wasn't the you know, it was, as we mentioned before, wasn't the same leveling where you're getting like all these different, um, you know, um, abilities like upgraded, like, you know, defense up one, strength up mm-hmm. two, you know, hit points up five. Um, it wasn't that traditional style. It was, you had to sort of pick it. And, and, and then also like with the damage and stuff, I think one thing, and I don't know why this is, but one of the things that graded me about this game as compared to traditional RPGs and even to um, Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo was the, um, and, and you and I talked about this, Stephen, was the, um, like the damage. It's like one and two and three and four. I'm like, oh man, I just want to see like, 697 damage, yeah. you know, yeah. at some point, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, and it, and it goes back to what you were saying about how this game is more geared toward kids, you know, because it's, um, you know, it has easier, uh, more accessible numbers to track and keep up with, right? It makes a lot more sense to someone uh, playing this game if they're younger, as opposed to, you know, you know, us playing like Final Fantasy games mm-hmm. and and doing this all this like heavy damage. Yeah. So, so yeah. And you have like the um, there's not really much in the way of a an equipment system in this game. I mean, you have the badges, but mm-hmm. in Super Mario RPG, you know, you get equipped weapons, you get equipped armor. I believe you had yep. some like accessories that sort of almost serve the same yep. function as badges in this yeah. game. Um, yeah, like ribbons and things yeah. like that. From what I remember, yeah. I barely recall. It's a year and a half ago, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's those are mechanics that I I really prefer um, mm-hmm. as opposed to this game. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. It's this is this was a sort of divergence from the traditional RPG as you were stating and and though i i really really appreciated the effort and you know it's it's really cool to see a company try to do something you know um something that's not standard you know they they could have they could have remade just super uh, mario rpg you know what i mean had the same things and just give it that paper look instead they could have done that um uh, you know perhaps you know in, in some of our eyes that made a may have made the game uh more enjoyable or more likable but you know, I mean, I applaud them for trying something different, maybe trying to reach a different age group. But, uh, like you said, I think a lot of a lot of this just felt sort of kiddie to me, um, and and it didn't feel like that, you know, really traditional RPG with those type of elements. In my opinion, I think this would have been a much better game, at least for me personally, if it was just a true sequel to Super Mario RPG. Um, mm-hmm. Not not to say I don't really think this is a bad game, but. Oh um, right, I, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Right, right, and and I've heard I've heard that uh, Thousand Year Door is a lot more enjoyable game. Uh, Josh, you mentioned, and I and I hadn't heard that before that the, um, you you thought that this one uh, was probably the art style on this one was probably a little bit better than uh, uh, the uh, uh, Thousand Year Door. 
Is that right? Well, no, I wouldn't say that, but I think if you think about the the Paper Mario style and that aesthetic, I was just surprised mm-hmm. at how good it looked on the N64. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, coming from the GameCube title, title in that, obviously the GameCube's a higher resolution and, and sure. more capabilities, but really, side by side, they, they look pretty comparable to one another. Um, you know, the GameCube is cleaner, but the N64 game still looks really good, and so yeah, I was just yeah. surprised at that. The one thing I would say is, is uh, you know, Stephen, you were saying that, that you would kind of wish that it was maybe a little bit more like Super Mario RPG, and I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have have echoed that online, um, on various forums and and inter, um, reviews and so forth. It's interesting because you were saying that, <clears throat> or someone was saying that that the that the game was in development originally as a sequel to Super Mario RPG, and I guess right. I didn't know that because my understanding was Super Mario RPG was kind of co-developed with SquareSoft, and then when Nintendo and Squaresoft's relationship soured, and they went to the PlayStation to do Final Fantasy VII there. Nintendo mm-hmm. kind of did their own thing with Paper Mario as a, well, we can make an RPG too. Uh, so I, I thought maybe that's was their response to that. Um, it, it could be. I mean, I mean, for all I know, Super Mario RPG 2 could have been a working title. Um, maybe they had no intention mm-hmm. of making it um, mm-hmm. like a continuation of the first game. Um, yeah, I don't really know, but yeah, it it is it is very similar, and you know, RPG is you know, um, it's about the seven stars. It's a continuation yeah. of that story, so I think that that that's the reason a lot of people consider this the sequel to mm-hmm. um to Super Mario RPG is the storyline. Um, it's sort of, I don't know if it's a continuation of that storyline, but it's definitely, there's an allusion to, um, Super Mario RPG, um, in this game as well, you know, with the seven stars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why, you know, you've got, you've got a second game coming out on the Nintendo 64 that is also an RPG, you know, with Super, with the Mario in it. So I, I think that's why, if anything, if it's not a direct sequel to it, um, it's definitely a spiritual uh, successor to that first game, yeah, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, just some, just some sort of, um, you know, closing thoughts on it. Um, you know, we'll kind of wrap it up here, but um, I, I definitely wanted to hear from Josh. We we're talking about the game, um, sort of the simplicity of the game, and I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that as well, Josh. Yeah, the simplicity is something that I enjoy because I've never been a I've never been a, a big RPG guy, so for me, the simplicity of it actually is, I find kind of refreshing. You don't have to worry about managing too much equipment or managing too many abilities. It's all pretty pretty easy to work with. The one thing I would say perhaps works against the game is, in conjunction with that simplicity, is that they complicate it in a way by having you do too much um, or too many different um, mechanics, game mechanics in there, because mm-hmm. you're doing platforming and then you're doing um, turn-based battles, but they combine that with the first strike system so that you kind of do, you know, either with a, a jump and bounce or a hammer uh, smash or whatever, some kind of like first attack in a more traditional sort of action melee type of fashion. And so... I don't know. It, it almost seems like 
the game sort of becomes a jack of all trades, master of none in that mm-hmm. sense. And um, it, it feels like it, it melds together reasonably well, but I felt like it could have done it better. One, one thing that, that I felt like um, would have been better for me, and, and this is just me, um, I would have liked to have the option to use either the D-pad or the analog stick Mm-hmm. To control Mario yeah. during, especially during the platforming segments, because the the N64's analog stick being the first um, legitimate analog controller in the modern gaming age, so to speak, it was kind of a fiddly stick. And especially with some of those areas or some of those battle mechanics where you had to quickly tap the stick or or move it to one dire- one direction or another, it just seemed like. Um, you know, you play through a, a game of this, and after twenty hours of Paper Mario, you've wrecked your, <laughs> you've wrecked your analog stick yeah, uh, from yeah, too many yeah. battles. And so, <clears throat> for me, it would have been nice to to have the choice to do one or the other, or yeah. to or to go back and forth. Um, yeah. You know, and so like if you wanted to use the D pad, then you could use say the left trigger to do the things that you would do with the Z trigger, like the spin or things like that. Um, I feel like that would have been a better choice instead of forcing you to use the analog stick. Um, yeah. But I get why they did because of the because of some of the mechanics. The other thing that that I'll mention is is that the leveling system I think could have been improved some. Uh, that you know again they keep it simplified by doing everything with small points. You know one hit point, two hit points, three points, and then they use that with that star point system. And so, just like in a Mario game, you collect a hundred game or hundred coins, you get a one up. You yeah. collect a hundred star points, and then you level up, and that's how you do your your plus fl- plus five HP, plus five FP, or plus three badge points. And mm-hmm. there were times when you don't you don't grind as you do in a, in a typical RPG. And so, once you have defeated certain enemies enough to level up, I think it's twice in any given area. When you go mm-hmm. back and you fight those enemies again, you gain nothing, um, ex- yep. except maybe a coin or two. So especially, mm-hmm. like you mentioned before, in the toad in the tunnels underneath the Toad Town, mm-hmm. um, there are some spots where you got to do a little bit of backtracking here and there, where you go fight enemies, or like when I had to go back to Forever Forest to yep. to go get that um, seed from the bulb bulb. You fight those enemies, and some of those battles you have to fight because that's the only way you're going to get through those areas. And other than a coin or two, you're not gaining anything by finding those battles. Whereas even yeah. in a traditional RPG, in most cases, even if the HP that you're gaining is almost infinitesimal, they're still giving you something. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it felt like in some of those uh, battles in, in uh, Paper Mario that you kind of got you kind of got the, the short end of the stick. Yeah, yeah, it's you, you could run. You know, and that's what I found myself doing in a lot of those that, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get anything from. It was just going to be kind of a time sink to fight those battles. Uh, you know, I would typically just run. And I guess that's the thing with Paper Mario. And, and it's kind of nice, too. I've, I've actually, one of the things I did after beating the game was watch someone speed run this thing in like two hours and something or three hours and something. I think it was 2.45, uh, which was <laughs> which was amazing. And, of course, you know, they're taking advantage of glitches and things like that. But when they would, you know, uh, take out certain enemies in certain battles, they would get so many of those uh, star points 
uh, by beating enemies that were further on in the game when their level was down. Um, so there is a sort of risk-reward system implemented in this game. So if you can beat things that are tougher at a smaller level, um, you can um, you can sort of level up quicker and and and, and take advantage of that. Um, but but one of the things I really liked about this game and I thought was that was good is that I never felt the need to grind at all. I felt like if I just fought, um, you know, I could skip things if I needed to every once in a while. Um, and, and then fight just sort of what I needed to um, in, in certain battles, and I was okay. I never felt the need to grind um, or never felt under-leveled for anything. So, I don't yeah, know. Thoughts on that? It's um, pretty much impossible to power level in this game. Because uh, mm-hmm. like, like Josh was saying, you only after a couple levels, you don't get any experience from enemies in that area. So, uh, after, after playing this... Um, and I know, I know, uh, Josh, you've already played uh, Thousand Year Door. Um, uh, Steven, I, I, I don't guess you have. I haven't played Thousand Year Door. Is that correct? No, I've played it, but it's been so long that okay. I, I really don't okay. remember it very well at all. It's been at least 10 years. Okay. So, so I guess I'm asking this question to myself then. <laughs> am I going to be compelled to play after playing these in sequence, which I've done? Am I going to be, um, compelled to play, uh, Thousand Year Door? Um, I'd say, yeah, I, I'd play it. You know, and maybe we could do that as a playthrough at some point. I think that that um, you know I, I'm interested enough to actually track down a copy, which I haven't thought of before. And um, you know, there there are definitely some things I really liked about this game, and I feel like from what I understand about the next title, um, I, I, f- I feel like I would enjoy it because I think it's um, you know sort of improved upon as far as I know. Well, let me ask Josh. I mean, does this compel you to check out and uh, maybe try to track down a copy of uh, Super Mario RPG? Definitely. Um, you know, that's that's one of those games that I've kind of always wanted to play and experience just because everybody mm-hmm. everybody kind of raves about it, um, especially other people who are like-minded, uh, such as myself, who are not big RPG fans. You know, that's a genre that I'm kind of trying to force myself to, to get into more, mm-hmm. but I find that mm-hmm. games like this kind of scratch that itch, but don't require me to invest uh, an exorbitant amount of time. Right, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I will say that um, while I enjoyed this game, had I played this one first, unless I knew that that uh, the Thousand Year Door built on the paper, um, the paper concept, less as an aesthetic and more as a as mechanics, I, I may have been less compelled to go out and buy that uh, when I did, but having played that one first, and then Super Paper Mario, and then going back to the to the N64 original, I can see the progression between them, and I appreciate it more. I think, um, yeah. as you know, this was their starting point. They had this idea. They didn't flesh it all out all the way, but you know, it was a good foundation. And then certainly there were better things yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. I think you. Uh, I think it's something you should definitely seek out. Um, as we know, Super Nintendo cart prices are kind of going through the roof right now. Uh, but uh, if you can find one at a good price, I'd definitely suggest you know picking that up and uh, giving it a shot. I think you'll be pretty surprised at how advanced it was for its time, and um, you know how how traditional of an RPG it actually is, just with you know basically Mario characters thrown in and that you know sort of Mario storyline. Yeah. And, and, um, which is pretty cool. And uh, unless I'm mistaken, that may be available on the Wii, Vir- Wii U Virtual Console. 
at, at the sure. time of this recording. So I might, might have to go back and, and see, because if it is, I may just have to pick that up. Yeah, yeah. And let us know what you think. We still got the forums up for that. So um, be glad to talk with you about that at some point. Well, was there anything else, you guys? Any closing thoughts? Stephen, did you um, ever come back to your thought on that uh, you had earlier? I, I did. It came to me, and I, I wrote it down just so I wouldn't forget <laughs> again. But uh, Awesome. I was talking about the... Um, uh, how the, you, know, you can't power level in this game because after um, you know getting a couple levels in any area, the enemies don't give you any experience or star points anymore. Um, sure. And also, I, I guess the level cap is about thirty ish. It does because, uh, uh, like we said, you, you, your HP maxes out at fifty. I assume your FP mm-hmm. maxes out at fifty, and your badge points max out at thirty. Thirty. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I was maybe. Going from those numbers, I think I might have been like three levels away from the max level at the uh, mm-hmm. end of the game. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess there's not, you know, a high, uh, you can't really get like super powerful in this game, like overpowered. Uh, you mm-hmm. just, you always kind of have to be like on the game's level, I guess. I guess that's a good way to, for them to keep you at the level they want you to be at, like the optimal level for mm-hmm. any given area. But Yeah. Um. I guess just to give my overall thoughts, um, I, I didn't like I said I, I didn't particularly enjoy this game as much as I thought I would, but I, I want to I don't want uh, to give the impression I think this is like a, a bad game. I just think it's not for me. Sure. I think there's I know there's a lot of people who enjoy this game, and I you know I can totally see why they do. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to give the impression that I would discourage anybody from checking this game out if they uh, you know if they see it and think it looks fun. Sure, sure. I'm 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 sort of a similar impression. I mean, this is I, I don't think this is the type of game um, I would um, probably play again. It's not one I would come back to and play again. Uh, no, my cart is not for sale. Mine is because I'm I'm an <laughs> I listed it in my I'm trade an, thread. <laughs> I'm an obsessive collector, so so I will not be uh, getting rid of my cart. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not a game I can see myself playing again. Uh, but um, having said that, it's a game that I'm glad that I played. I'm glad you picked it, Steven. Um, and, and I'm glad I got to play it. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big N64 guy. Um, you know, N64 came out when I was in college and, um, it just, you know, it never resonated with me. I, I was a PlayStation guy. Um, and, uh, you know, Nintendo older and then, you know, uh, Super Nintendo then went to the PlayStation. So, I've never been a real fan of anything in 64, but I actually did, you know, find this game, you know, quite enjoyable. Um, and, um, you know, again, thanks for picking it. I'm glad I played it. So um, how about you, Josh? Any final thoughts? And uh, how would you sort of rate this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I probably enjoyed myself uh, a little bit more than you guys with it. You know, I kind of like the fact that with most Mario games, there's almost no story. It's all the same trope. Mario saves Princess Peach, um, and you know you have that here too. But with all the different chapters that you go through, you're you're saving other people as well, or you're you're doing things that uh, that mm-hmm. give you the ability to kind of flesh out that concept in more interesting ways. And you know the story is all very lighthearted and silly, and it's a nice break from. Uh, from a lot of the more modern games where everything's all serious and dour and, 
and uh, you know you might be saving the universe from some ultimate evil or whatever and and so it's kind of a nice uh, just a nice change of pace from that um, from that sort of um, kind of serious mode yeah sort of very lighthearted if you yeah. will yeah. I, I don't I'm kind of in the same boat though I, I don't know if I see myself going back and playing it again um, sure. unless maybe you know five eight years down the road I pick it up and go, hey, I haven't played this in forever, and, you know, pop it in. If I've got the time, maybe I'll go through and, and do all the side quests next time. Um, since I've already got the story down, you know, I can kind of skip through the a lot of the dialogue because I kind of yeah. know what that is and, and, and maybe see more of the game or max out my level or whatever. Um, yeah. um, but I did enjoy myself with it, and... Uh, uh, I definitely, it makes me want to go back and play the Thousand Year Door again and actually finish it this time because I didn't finish it the first time. Uh, and yeah. so now, now I'm kind of motivated to maybe go and, and start that one from the beginning and play through because it's been a couple of years since I picked it up and, and, uh, I think I might appreciate it more now that I played the first game and I see how much they improved or, or changed to make the second game um, a little bit richer experience. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, I really appreciate it. And, um, thanks for, uh, Josh, thanks for joining us this month. Um, and, uh, again, Steven, uh, next month, uh, I've actually picked out the, um, Genesis classic. Um, and we'll be playing that in May. We'll be playing shining force. Um, I've never really played a tactical RPG. I've started it, uh, I'm uh, still, uh, you know, still getting my sea legs on the old tactical RPG, but I will say that I am uh, very much enjoying it. So, Josh, I hope you'll join us next month for that as well. I don't know if you have plans to or not, but uh seems like a pretty fun game. <laughs> but anyway, um, thanks for joining us, and I'll uh, see you next month when we discuss Shining Force. Thank you for staying tuned to uh, the Playcast. We're now going to talk about our modern game for the month of uh, April. That was uh, the 2013 uh, Tomb Raider reboot. Uh, it was developed by Crystal Dynamics and published by Square Enix. Uh, it sold 8.5 million copies, and somehow Square Enix had the audacity to call that uh, a failure. If, if I made a game that sold that much money, I would be pretty happy. I think uh, I think from what I read, it's a little of a little bit of a short-sighted uh, statement they made. I, I think that was after just one month of sales, and uh, when they made that statement, uh, which only sold maybe about three and a half million, I believe, at that time. So it's you know completely ignored everything after. Uh, Still, I guess Square Enix has been doing some rather funny things lately. Oh yeah, yeah, we, we all know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so this game is available on the PS3, the Xbox 360, uh, the PC, and on new-gen consoles as the Definitive Edition. 
Uh, I played on the PS3 because it was um, a PSN Plus free game one month, so I downloaded that and finally had a chance to play it. Uh, Sean, who unfortunately wasn't able to join this uh, re-recording, which I will explain in just a moment, also played on the PS3. And uh, Stephen, you did uh, the Definitive Edition, didn't you? That's right. I played Definitive Edition on the PS4. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about some uh, comparisons of that in a bit. Um, but yeah, earlier I mentioned that this is a re-recording of our Tomb Raider segment. And the reason we're doing this is because basically, I don't know if uh, if you're superstitious, Stephen, but uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, the number 13 came and uh, wreaked some demonic stuff to me. And somehow I managed to accidentally delete my recording of our original um, session. So... We're, uh, we're back to the drawing board. We're doing this all over again. Uh, unfortunately, St- uh, Sean wasn't able to join us for this um, redo, but uh, I, I've taken note of what his contributions were, and I'll, uh, I'll sort of chip those in uh, where, where I can. Yeah, I, I wasn't superstitious before this recording, but uh, now I'm not so sure. I've, I've, been, I've had my own set of issues trying to make this happen. Yeah, well, um, this is episode 13, and you know Murphy's yeah. Law. It's going to come and bite you in the butt. Yep. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we get into uh, the nitty-gritty of our show, I'll just uh, ring off our participants. So, uh, Disposed Hero, uh, my good friend um, Sean played, or sorry, Stephen. Dougley007 came in for a little bit. Eric Escapade, myself, uh, Sean, Grey Ghost 81 uh, Neo, who's a, a new guy to the site, and by uh, the comments he was making, I think he was really, really loving this game. He was having a blast with this. And uh, Rido. Uh, before we begin talking about the game itself, uh, because there are two different uh, variants, essentially, of this game, uh, the Definitive Edition and Regular Edition, we'll just sort of talk about the, the similarities and the differences. Um, Gameplay has stayed pretty much intact in the Definitive Edition. I think they they changed some of the controls because I know uh, many people do not like the PS3 or the DualShock 3's um, shoulder buttons. So they probably moved uh, the shoot from uh, R1 to R2. You're you're probably right. I don't know for sure, but uh... I on, I honestly like R1 to shoot. Maybe that's because of my um, you know early PS3 days with Uncharted and stuff like that, but. Yeah, I think the PS4 controller, the DualShock 4, has better triggers, which uh, which feels a little more natural. I, I don't think, but the DualShock 3 using the R2 to shoot didn't really feel as good. Yeah, they're kind of kind of floppy feeling. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the major difference between these two versions of the game is um, the definitive edition got a huge graphical overhaul. They even they they changed Lara's uh, character model. Yeah, the face. Uh, they completely altered her face. Uh, yeah, I really think they were going for the um, older uh, Laura Croft model uh, from, say, the PS2 games. Mm-hmm. Sort of that uh, more, was, more determined look, I guess. Yeah, that's just the vibe I got from it when I when I saw it. I mean, I, I playing on the PS3, I I thought it was a very like visually gorgeous game, especially you know all the landscapes and all the because you're you're in a very 
um, wild setting, just sometimes coming up over a mountain and then seeing the horizon and, and the the lighting effects and the particle effects look really, really good. Yeah, they uh, they added a lot of particle effects too to the definitive edition. Okay, they um they enhanced like the the water and the rain and smoke and fog and okay. Um, of course, there was the um the tress effects, um, hair. Uh, effects that they added uh where they i believe they what textured like each individual strand of hair or something like that. i think so i remember reading about that yeah yeah that's a weird decision to make i mean i know photorealism is a big thing right now but to go so far as to have every single hair rendered and animated is i mean it's a cool um accomplishment but yeah, it seems a bit overkill, which I know that was a feature on the PC version even before the Definitive Edition uh, was released. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I remember I, I, when I originally played this game on the PC before mm -hmm. uh, this playthrough. So, yeah, that, that was an option. All right, well, I mean, I, I think um, Lara's character model in, in the uh, Standard Edition looked perfectly fine to me. I don't know why they had to go I mean, and, and actually, change her um, hair. Look, to me, yeah. if you ask me, it kind of just looked like a wet mop sitting on her head it, it, it does look a tad awkward at times and i actually prefer the uh the face of the original uh, lara uh model it kind of goes with um the way they're trying to portray her character she does look a little bit more more innocent and she hasn't really grown yeah. into that hunter yeah. that we know her to be that's that's pretty much the big differences uh between the definitive edition and the standard edition so Let's jump right into the plot of this game. And I think it's best we get this out of the way first because this plot is very... Um, it almost feels like it was an afterthought. It feels like it was tacked on to justify what's happening in, in, in the game. Uh, but basically, we have uh, Lara Croft and her team of archaeologists who are on a um, expedition. They're looking for the island of Yamatai, where presumably there's um, a culture that worshipped uh, this goddess named Himiko, and she was an ancient Japanese um, sun goddess. And this uh, fabled legendary land is supposed to be east of Japan in an area that's known as the Dragon's Triangle, which is basically their version of our Bermuda Triangle. And, like Weird stuff happens there. So in this Dragon's Triangle area, their ship is suddenly struck by a storm and they end up shipwrecked on this strange island, much like the Lost Island. There on this island, the, the, our main protagonists are captured and some of them are tortured to various degrees. And what uh, basically occurs in the game is that Laura has to um, save her friends from these deranged cult uh, people who are trying to revive Himiko, and they suspect that one of Laura's friends um, is the reincarnation of uh, of Himiko herself. Um, I mean, this this plot is is so uh, far fetched, but I mean, it's still enjoyable. And over the course of the game, Laura grows and evolves into the Tomb Raider and the Hunter and, you know, the competent survivalist that we know her as today. And that's that's the big thing. This game pushes that Laura grows from, 
you know, an innocent person into a hard-boiled survivor. Yeah, you know, I, I personally enjoy the story. It's, um, I, you know, story in games is something that people complain about a lot, but I guess I, I don't really think about it too much. I just sort of take it for what it is, take it at face value, and I guess I just consider myself being more along for the ride, and, um, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it is. That's fair, and I think that's kind of what this was. This, this game wasn't really setting out to to be some major deep intellectual thing um it just it wanted to give an origin story to the tomb raider and uh it was crystal dynamics interpretation of how laura croft became the character that we all have known uh and grown to love i think the the real meat of this game and the best aspect of this game is is the gameplay it um it's a stealth game in a, in a sense and i say that because stealth is encouraged and it's not forced and and that in our early previous attempt at this recording that's what uh sean uh had to say was that this this game emphasized stealth and really rewarded it i think you could when it was possible you could sort of sneak around very quietly and get a lay of the land and take out your your enemies sort of one by one pick them off with you know headshots one at a time yeah but the game doesn't punish you for uh you know screwing it up basically no no you're you're, yeah. you're never punished for for going in you know full on rambo style and, well in some games you know if if you're trying to be stealthy but you get spotted and you can be punished for that sometimes. I mean, there are games that it's just automatic kill uh, when you get discovered, and mm-hmm. other games it it's, makes it much more difficult to progress through an area when you're not playing stealthy, but I don't feel like this game does that at all. You can pretty much choose your approach, and any approach is really a viable approach. Exactly, and I, th- I think they wanted to sort of work with that, you know, hunter-hunted type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, an- another area that this game really excels in is um is the weapons they all feel and and sound really good and there's no uh right or wrong way to approach any situation you can stealth through it or you can go in guns blazing and you can really use whatever item you feel is you're most comfortable with like so in in, in my case I heavily relied on the bow and arrow and the shotgun and um, assault rifle to to lesser extents, because um, I whenever I'm presented with an opportunity to stealth in a game, that's what I'm gonna go with. I think, um, and we all had unique approaches to uh, to the combat and the gameplay. So this was a an interesting thing that uh, that we can talk about. Yeah, I, I found myself using all the weapons pretty pretty evenly uh, for the most part. Um, you know, using the bow for the stealth situations and pistol for picking off enemies at a distance, uh, shotgun for close range, and rifle for sort of uh, thinning the herd, mm-hmm. so to speak. Every every or weapon had its own sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Tomb Raider had uh, a very well integrated. Um, sort of mechanic where you could it was called survival instinct and in in this mode everything sort of goes into a monochromatic um grayscale and only 
objectives and, and key items of interest will be highlighted in, in a bright gold and yellow color. But it only worked when you were staying still, and um, uh, Sean had a lot of praise for this system. Because he really thinks that these sort of pinging features, radar features, really eliminate any of the challenge in, in the modern games. And he really liked the way it was it was achieved in, in Tomb Raider, because you couldn't just leave it on and take the any difficulty out of the game. You couldn't rely on it. It was more of like, um, imagine what a hunter would do if he's stalking his prey in the forest. He kind of hunkers down, you know, gets a lay of the land, you, you know, uses all of his senses to um, really get an assessment of the situation, and that's what they conveyed in this game with the survivor instinct. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, but uh, I guess that I, I kind of didn't like that the uh, it didn't work while you were moving because I, I like to use it to hunt down collectibles in this game. Mm-hmm, so, yeah, you're very much a, a collectible guy. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very superficial and silly reason, but uh, uh, I can totally see where you guys are coming from with uh, liking that it doesn't work while moving. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like um, Detective Vision in uh, in Batman. Mm-hmm, I mean, right. like in, in Batman, I had sort of not not really a justification for it, but like I had my reason for liking it, and that was the fact that those Batman games are so dark, and it's hard to really tell where your next objective is. And so, for it to highlight in yellow, it, it was helpful, especially if you you know you're playing for ten minutes and you don't know where to go. Um, but in in the case of Tomb Raider, I think always your objective was always clear to you. Like you were never sort of running around looking for for the exit into the next area. It's like the layout I think was was perfect, and it didn't hold your hand. It gave you enough of a challenge, but you were never you know confused about what you had to do next. Yeah, most of the areas are pretty linear, and the objectives were you know pretty well laid out. Um, there were a few points where I uh, relied on it just to figure out the actual objective as opposed to collectibles. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, it, it it wasn't really necessary, I would say. Just something they sort of hold your hand a little bit. Yeah, it kind of it, it gave you those useful hints every now and then. Yeah, just keep you, help you keep you from getting frustrated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, like any modern game, this... Uh, this game has, you know, an RPG-style upgrade system, which really uh, kind of emphasizes that notion that Lara is um, becoming and evolving into a survivor. I mean, like, her her um, survival skills get better, her hunting skills get better, with the more skill points that you will lot into uh, certain areas. So, like, it didn't feel tacked on like in um like in other games and it didn't feel like it was sort of you know an incentive to go out of your way and and hunt you know x many number of a certain animal it was it, it really reinforced the fact that at the beginning of this game you're you're very inexperienced survivalist essentially and towards the end you, you progress into a competent um hunter tomb raider <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess as far as uh, Lara's actual uh, upgrade character upgrades, I, I didn't really, I actually don't even remember a lot of what they were. I mean, uh, aside from, I know there were some for like collecting extra 
uh, scrap or whatever for upgrading weapons and uh, upgrades that will help her collect more ammo from uh, dead enemies. There, there was that, yeah. There was some... Um, um, like, recover your arrow when uh, when you shoot right, it into yeah. something. Um, there yeah, were, it, there were you know, like, better takedowns that you could, uh, you could unlock. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which those really yeah. come in handy later in the game. Yeah, I did make good use of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oftentimes you'll have this big, you know, like, tank coming at you, and, and the only thing you can really do is sort of strafe to the side and, you know, like, stab an arrow into his leg. Yeah. Which really segues nicely into um, another heavily used element of this game, which was um, uh, quick-time events. Did you did you find them to be overdone or, or intrusive? Because or... I know quick-time events are um, an interesting topic to gamers these days. Yeah, I'm... I'm not as against quick time events as a lot of people seem to be. Like I don't, I don't love them, but I, you know, anytime a quick time event pops up, I'm, you know, I'm not just, uh, you know, find it to be this super negative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in this game they were, uh, at least for me, just they were fine. I don't feel like they were overly done, and I don't feel like uh, they were really annoying like they are mm-hmm. in some games. There's just sometimes if you screw up a quick time event it's like an instant game over there were there were uh, a lot of those yeah well it, it did but uh it's like a an entire like there were some games like you play like an entire sequence over in this game usually if you just screwed up you just you would start you right back at that uh specific point rather than having to play a you know two minute sequence over and over again yeah th- those 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 quick time events were were very brief and they're more like just to suddenly ramp up the the tension. Yeah. What what I had um had a problem with was um like unlocking doors with the pickaxe and and you know cranking uh, levers with the pickaxes. You just had to really button mash on um on that square button. I think um and and Sean brought up a really good point. He he sort of uh, harkened back to um. 50 cent blood on the sand where if you wanted to open the door you just walked up to a door press the um signified button and 50 opens the door there's no quick time event to just open the door you you know it was yeah, it, it was sort of I, streamlined I that. that way i agree with that 100 it, it does feel kind of silly sometimes to sit there and just uh use a, a crank or you know to use the little pickaxe to open a door and just hammer on a button to make it happen. Um, it feels for, for, for mundane tasks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like it worked just fine. Like, like you and or Sean said, you know, it works just fine in 50 cent just to press the button one time and mm-hmm. make it happen rather than have to tap the button mercilessly to, you know, open a door. Yeah. Yeah. One area where I think, uh, the quick time events were, were done really well where there would be areas where, You'd have to take Laura off this really uh, intimidating cliff, and there'd be a ledge at the other end, and you had to press the the button that would make her catch the edge right at the right moment, or 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 else she would fall to her doom. And I I think those were were really cool. I think it kind of simulated that experience of of just taking a leap of faith. Yeah, it kind of gives you that uh, like 
you have a couple seconds just to press that button at the right time. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know what happens if you don't get I guess she just falls. He, he, yeah, she just doesn't make the jump. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that, uh, the traversal borrows a lot from the Uncharted games. And in the sense that, like, every level has some sort of verticality and pretty much everything is climbable. Um, I, you know, I, I thought, uh, the fact that, well, every level was straightforward, but you had to always sort of think about what, what's above me. Maybe, maybe there's something that I need that's above me or below me. I can climb down into this area. I can climb up into this area. You know, I, I thought that, uh, was an interesting twist into, into the approach that I had to take. Yeah, I think uh, the comparison to Uncharted is a very appropriate one. Uh, a lot of games have sort of uh, copied that mm-hmm. style of platforming over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually played a little bit of Uncharted 2 shortly after beating Tomb Raider, just to kind of compare the gameplay a little bit. Um, I can definitely say that it feels more fluid in Tomb Raider. Um, it's a little more slow and deliberate in Uncharted. Right, yeah, I, I, um, I can see where you're coming from. And Uncharted does a lot of things where it sort of takes control away from the player. Uh, you know, while Drake is climbing on something, uh, things will sort of break away and he'll sort of clutch at something or like a rail will break and he'll swing around. And it does happen some in Tomb Raider, but not, not nearly not as, as much, often. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't uh, take control away from the player, which I think is... I'm not really sure if I like it or not because it kind of gives Uncharted more of a cinematic feeling, whereas... But I can also see how taking control away from the player uh, is annoying. But just kind of, uh, you know, one of those things, just each game is what it is, no, I guess. No, I know what you mean. That's a, that's a fair point. Um, I mean, like, I think when, when Tomb Raider came out, that was a big comparison that people were making. Like, this game is just, it's just like Uncharted. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to remember that Uncharted was influenced by the earlier sort of ps1 ps2 tomb raider games so kind of it all kind of came full circle here yeah yeah it really does Mm -hmm. i think if there's one thing that definitely felt like uncharted to me was uh the gunfights Mm -hmm. i would agree oftentimes um you know there you were never well there were a few instances where you were in really tight areas and you had to sort of fend off you know, a few enemy waves. Um, but I mean, in, in Uncharted, there would often be sort of like a, a, a small area with a small number of bad guys. And you'd clear that room and move on to the next area, which would be larger and would have larger amounts of enemy waves coming at you. And in Uncharted, if you, if you saw rubble and de- can't say it, debris lying on the ground and basically what is essentially cover you'd know okay i'm going to get into a firefight here with um tomb raider it was a lot more unpredictable in like unless you saw um some of those uh henchmen walking around you didn't always know when uh when you'd be engaging into combat like i'd almost had uh, as sean pointed out like an encounter rate like an rpg-esque encounter rate yeah i definitely feel like Uncharted is a lot more formulaic uh, in that aspect. Uh, Tomb Raider is a lot more unpredictable. As far as the gunplay itself, I, I, I enjoyed the gunplay in Tomb Raider so much that I was thinking that um, it was better than Uncharted. I, I went back and played a little bit of Uncharted 2, like I said before, mm-hmm. and uh, 
uh, I came back away from that feeling like they're pretty similar. I mean, they're they're, they're, they're kind of on par. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they have their differences, but uh, in terms of like just the fun I was having with the gunplay, it was pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, what did you have to say about the um, the level design? There was a lot of interesting areas. You know, you're uh, you know you have lush jungle environments. You have snowy mountainsides. Um, you know, like you said before, just a lot of the environments are just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as far as the um, I guess actually traversing these areas and actually having to play through these areas. I thought a, level, a lot of it was uh, very well done. Um, I actually enjoyed the a lot of the interior areas quite a bit, um, which I think is a big contrast to the outdoor uh, areas. Yeah, no, I agree. I um I really enjoyed like the the tombs and um right. the the bunkers. Mm-hmm. I, I think those environments to me kind of it seems like they they lend themselves uh more to the um the gunplay which which i think i've said before it was for me was the highlight of the game um whereas the outdoor environments can sometimes be more about the platforming which while i still enjoyed it i i enjoyed the gunplay a lot more in this game yeah no you're you're definitely right about how each um sort of area had its own purpose i think like everything is climbable and you know like definitely the exterior um areas we're we're more for that sort of platforming thing. Um, did you have a favorite level or? Um, let me see. I think one that stood out to me, I think, uh, was the mountain base, which was was an interior place. It's where you first find the rifle. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just a lot of things I just mentioned. You know, a lot of good uh, gunfights in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it was um. I thought revisiting the endurance, uh, the wreck, the wreckage of the endurance was very interesting. I I, uh, I really liked that part and how it kind of incorporated yeah. interior and exterior segments. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was like probably my favorite uh, moment of the game. It was a little a little surreal, you know, because you see that you know at the beginning of the game and the opening cutscene, and then you're back there. It's just a wreck. There's that scene where Laura, she's looking in the mirror again, and you kind of see. Like how how dirty and disheveled she is compared to the opening part of the game, and it's a it's it's a really cool area. They, they definitely want to sort of hammer home that message that she's not the same person that she was at the right. beginning. Yeah, yeah. Right, like at the at the beginning of the game, she's she's very very clean, and that re, um, reflects um, her her inner state, which is um, rather. Um, not naive, but innocent, I think is, is a mm-hmm. better way to put it. Um, and by the end of the game, she is, you know, a real tough skinned, um, not cold blooded murderer, but, but she becomes a survivor. Um, and I mean, in a, this game is roughly 10, 12 hours. So it's, it's difficult to give a, a fully fleshed out character progression uh, so a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I just, you know, shot the deer and, you know, five later, five minutes later, I'm, you know, mowing down waves of enemies and, you know, Laura's cool with yeah. it. Yeah. A lot of these games are like that. You know, you have, um, 
like you said, a young, naive person. Like Far Cry 3 was the same way. You know, he kills the first person that he kills and, you know, he's like, oh my God, I can't believe I just killed somebody. But then five minutes later, you're just mowing down enemies. And I think it's just how, you know, how it has to be for a video game, I, I would think, because... I think it would be very difficult to show that progression of it kind of gradually getting easier mm-hmm. to kill. You know, it, of course it's for self-defense. It's not like you said, not cold-blooded murder, but but it's kind in, of getting, in, yeah, for self-preservation. Yeah. Just getting to where that point where, you know, you, you, you don't have to deliberate on it or it's not giving you that sick feeling in your stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, like it shows on, on their first kill. Um, yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I just think it'd be very difficult to kind of show that. Uh, progression in a video game mm-hmm. i think um and you know that's that's one of those things where you kind of have to remember it is a video game it is you know, it is a uh, video game and they do have that time constraint and yeah um, and it's it's know, not a flaw in the writing it's i think they just said you know we only have a limited amount of time and and we have to go we have to take this character from point a to point b yeah and it's also it's like maybe the character in in a real situation the character wouldn't want to wouldn't be so, uh, you know, quick to kill like that after just killing one time. But, you know, as, as the person playing the game, I am. So I want to get on with the action. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, <laughs> as I guess, as gamers, we've kind of been conditioned to, uh, yeah, essentially yeah. see, um, enemies as obstacles that we can just right, exactly. pump with lead. And then, you know, it's not our problem anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think um, going back to that comparison to um, Uncharted, this this game is definitely a lot grittier, and um, as Sean said, it's a lot more macabre. I mean, there is blood everywhere, and there is like disfigurement everywhere. You know, you, you see uh, Laura get impaled by this um, iron rod. And if you don't um, accomplish some of these more cinematic um, sort of interactive cutscenes, you know, Laura gets, you know, stabbed by by debris or, you know, falls off a cliff. I think, I mean, it's it's difficult to watch. Um, Like I found the gore to be um, gratuitous in this case. Yeah, I, I could. I, I guess I didn't really think about it too much while I was playing, but looking back, I would agree with that. It, it's definitely, like I said, far more grittier than Uncharted. Um, I guess I, I had a thought for a second that you know I've been recently playing Mortal Kombat X, and of course Mortal Kombat's as gory as it gets, but I feel like in those games, it's the, the context. It's so much more comical. I think uh, it's supposed what, to be. Yeah, it's yeah, supposed to be funny. And, yeah, in this game, you know, it, it's a lot more. It feels more real. Um, it does. So You're it kind of, kind of, it kind of hits you a little bit harder. It, it, it does. It does feel real, and I, I'm curious to to find out if if this was an effort to um, gain our um, sympathy for Laura, just you know, really take her to to hell and back again, just so we could feel for her. Uh, I'm sure because they they accomplished that for sure. They, uh, yeah, they did. I mean, like yeah. uh, one of my notes on this game is just like how much how how much stuff can go wrong for this one poor person. You know, like 
like how, how this this podcast was plagued by Murphy's <laughs> law. Laura is is uh, you know tormented by Murphy's law in this game. Right. Yeah, it's just you know as you're traversing the environment, it just seems like everything that that can go wrong will go wrong, and you know things break away at every almost everything she steps on just mm-hmm. breaks away, and things she gets stabbed and you know scraped up by anything that could be in the path it's you know it's going to be there and yeah uh yeah i mean that's yeah it just it feels almost like it's um more than you would expect at times i think so uh, that's 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 fair it's like you can't walk over a wooden bridge in this game you, you know if you're going to walk over some kind of wooden platform where a bridge is going to break yeah uh, whereas you know I feel like uh, in a real situation that uh, wouldn't always happen, but mm-hmm. I, I guess it keeps the game interesting. Yeah, I mean, like somewhat sarcastically, but he does have a point. Sean said, um, "Tomb Raider really makes Uncharted look like Sesame Street with all the uh, <laughs> like this. This game is is like gory as heck, and it's you know dead bodies and you know mutilated prisoners in in cages and." Uh, I think in in the shanty town, which um, was my least favorite area, and I'll I'll touch on that in a bit. You can sort of sneak underneath all these uh, dilapidated shacks, and you know, like the water's all brown, and it kind of gives you that. Um, it implies that it's probably a rather smelly, dirty place. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, yeah, I kind of enjoyed the shanty town actually myself. Um. You, I think you mentioned before you had some trouble actually getting through that. I did. Area. I had a lot of trouble. Um, th- I found this part to be really tough, even like, even on the normal setting. This this game, it's no walk in the park. It's it's definitely a very challenging um, game, and and um, from the shanty town onwards is really where where things ramp up. This like. This is where the uncharted combat really is noticeable. I mean, there are huge waves of, of enemies in here. And uh, I think I was playing that one uh, sequence where you're sort of climbing above the shantytown and you have to save Grimm. And that that whole segment must have taken me an hour or two hours because like, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> Because um, what what that is just to provide some some context and so our listeners can remember what that scene was all about is you kind of climb on these zipline platforms and they're they're rather small areas and five other baddies would zipline onto your platform and you'd have to fend them off while there's a couple guys with assault rifles on a higher platform aiming down on you so. It's, that was definitely a very busy, very frantic and frenetic uh, moment in the game. And, and there there are other very um, chaotic, frantic uh, gunfights. Yeah, I mean, I I played the game on normal difficulty, and I, I guess for the most part I didn't have a whole lot of trouble with, with those sections. I think there were a couple places later in the game that gave me some trouble, but um, nothing really like on the scale you're, you're talking about. No, uh, I, I don't know what it was that gave me such a hard time, but I was playing on normal up to then, and I had to I had to check my ego at the door and drop it down to easy. And, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a, uh, 
a masochist sometimes when it comes to games because I, I think the first time I played Tomb Raider, I'm not 100% positive. But I think the first time I played it on PC, I played it on hard. Okay. Uh, the entire game. And uh, I, I remember being much more frustrated with it. Uh, I, I can, I can understand that. that. Uh... This, time, this time I played the whole game on normal and I had uh, I enjoyed it much more. Um, I typically like to to play on normal because that's that's basically how the game is meant to be experienced. I mean, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's kind of like you said, just the the ego thing. I just want to say I, I beat it on hard, but you know, it's most of the time I get more enjoyment out of the game playing on normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just to stop uh, torturing myself with, with these <laughs> overly difficult games. But yeah, yeah, that's well. I mean. We all, uh, I think we all like the thrill of a, of a very challenging game. Yeah, it can definitely feel, uh, give you a great sense of accomplishment, uh, when you, you know, when you, when something's very difficult and you finally get it right, you know. Oh yeah, that's, that's very, very rewarding. That's a, that's a huge reward, yeah. What did, uh, what did you think of the enemies? Definitely my favorite baddies were, uh, the giant storm guards and, um, I think they're called the the Oni warriors, the sort of like samurai guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are probably the most interesting enemies in the game. I mean, there wasn't not a whole lot of variety in this game. Uh, I think you had basically the cultists on the island, mm-hmm. uh, and then the storm guard, and maybe a few wolves here and there. Um, yeah, yeah. Every so often, a wolf would uh, kind of jump out and ruin your day kind of far cry yeah. style right yeah there were a couple of sort of kind of sort of boss battles where there was a guy the russian guy on the ship and the oh yeah giant storm guard at the end of the mm-hmm. game it was kind of a similar fight where you just sort of had to evade and hit the weak spot yeah that um, that uh, final storm guard battle um even though i knew what i had to do was was, was kind of tricky for me because it you have some pretty tight timing windows to uh, pull off those counterattacks. Yeah, yeah, you do, and then then at some point you have other storm guard kind of uh, coming at you while you're trying to fight the big one, mm-hmm. uh, which which uh, only adds to the chaos. Yeah, well, I mean, whenever whenever I'm in a situation like that where I have a, a boss and his own sort of little um, goons coming after me, I I kind of cheese the game and, and I'll just dodge roll all over the place until the the little <laughs> henchmen start coming at me and the big baddies kind of hanging out at the back and then just in the, in the case of, of Tomb Raider just get out the shotgun and mow them down right and then then I can focus on this one-on-one uh battle with with the big storm guard yeah that's yeah that's probably about the good way to go about it I mean like sometimes finding out how to cheese a game is fun but Definitely in, in in something like Tomb Raider, you know this is not how it was intended to be played. Yeah, um, uh, I guess I guess I'm having a hard time. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, going along with that because I I just sort of took those guys head on. I guess that's fair. Um, you know the I, you know whenever I saw one of the goons coming at me i just pulled out the shotgun and blasted them a couple times and that usually took care of it Mm -hmm. and got back to i got back to the uh main boss guy yeah um but yeah i mean whatever gets the job done yeah that's that's true and you know it's it is a game so you know it, it it's accepting of any sort of play style but um 
I I just want to say that I really really love the um the almost like um I guess you could almost say it's like a tower defense in a wave defense uh scene right before that uh storm guard boss fight where you have all those onis uh coming at you and you have uh you have the assault rifle and the um and the shotgun and it's just you know 50 of these samurais and 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 just you yeah that was a cool part. that was that was a very cool part i mean like you know it's it's a very um uh dilapidated environment and you know like i think the wind is howling and, and it's just you against the many and, and it's such an adrenaline rush yeah i mean you had these guys coming at you with swords some of them were shooting at you with arrows i think some of the guys may have had spears if i remember correctly yeah some of them had uh spears and um sort of like molotov type things oh yeah see that this was one of the areas that i was talking about before when i said i had a little trouble with uh, some of the later parts mm -hmm. um yeah i think i died a few times there but uh yeah it was, it was still a fun battle one one part in like i didn't necessarily have trouble with but um i had a very minor gripe with was because up until the the catacombs where you find himiko's um casket sarcophagus thing you could essentially stealth your way through every sort of encounter and, and even skip a few encounters. But because you, you walk up to the central um, piece in the room and there's so many guys on scaffolding and, and higher perches, you know, throwing grenades and Molotovs at you and shooting at you. That was when um, the game said, like, Okay, you cannot play stealth here. I don't care if you've been playing stealth up yeah. until now. Like this is this is Rambo time. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I didn't really think about it much because I, I tried stealthing a lot more early in the game, and then later on, maybe about halfway through, I, I didn't really stealth at all. I just went in guns blazing, so it wasn't really an issue for me. But now that you mention it, yeah, I think that uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I can really see that being a problem for a lot of people who did try to play this game very stealthy. Yeah, like when, when everything up to that point was accepting of any play style and then they suddenly throw... It's almost like the reverse forced stealth. This is the forced aggressive combat, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Forced Rambo mode. Forced Rambo mode, I like that. Um, yeah, I think... Um, I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a reboot or... I guess a reboot and a reinterpretation of a, of a very well-known and well-beloved franchise that has inspired a lot of other games and movies and, and uh, TV. There's a lot of nods and, and Easter eggs within this uh, 2013 edition of Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider to, um, to other games, such as um, there's a, a very clear... Um, reference to uh, a horror movie called the descent did you did you catch this um uh reference Stephen? yeah I, i've actually never seen that movie but i remember seeing the previews when it first came out and uh and mm -hmm. even just only seeing the previews i i recognize that instantly yeah laura uh rising from the pool of blood it's just kind of a just i guess kind of an iconic uh scene uh it's easy to recognize and yeah definitely um, I, re I remember when uh, when Sean came across that moment, he got pretty excited. He went on the forum and, and 
posted sort of the comparison pictures and it's it's almost a, a shot for shot um, yeah, it's, remake of that scene yeah it really is mm-hmm. uh, yeah Sean had good things to say about that movie I might have, I'll have to check it out sometime yeah it's it's if if you like um uh if you if you like that sort of almost psychological horror because um, it's about these uh, three uh, girls who go um, spelunking, caving. Um, and, you know, everything is sort of cool and fun at the beginning until, uh, I guess, like everything gets strange and, and, and evil. They There's there's monsters down in this cave and they're, they're eating people. Um, it's been a number of years since I've seen the movie, so I, I might be wrong but uh um yeah another one of those instances where there's a lot of gore and and you really uh begin to feel for these poor females because of the the tragedies and and the brutality that they're experiencing yeah i think being uh submerged in a pool of blood is make anybody uncomfortable oh for sure yeah. for sure <laughs> i didn't i didn't notice this little uh, easter egg to the uh ps1 uh, tomb raiders um i actually had to to look this up in a little research that i did after the fact of finishing the game but if you find all of the the collectibles um laura says uh-huh like in uh like in the original playstation games uh so i thought that was pretty neat yeah i, I don't i never really played the earlier tomb raider games so I, i'm sure i heard laura say that this during this playthrough i just didn't really think anything of it just but. kind of went right past you yeah yeah yeah, I've. This is my first Tomb Raider game too, and um, I, I, I mean, I had fun with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the sequel that they'll be, uh, that they'll be making. Oh yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about the, the most obvious and most exhilarating, um, uh, nod to, to, to the PS One, you know, Tomb Raider Origins is that dual pistol QTE right at the very end. Yeah, I, I, I caught that one. Uh, it was funny because after I finished the game, a friend of mine was actually asking me, like, D- does Laura ever get the dual pistols in this game? And yeah, I didn't want to spoil it, so I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, just, well, you have to wait and see. But, you'll, you'll find out, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it might, I don't know. He might be a little disappointed that it's just a little QTE sequence, but uh, instead of actually being able to have full-on uh, gameplay with it, but. I don't know. But it's it's still a pretty exhilarating and exciting. Scene. Yeah, it's I mean, cool. And I think it kind of sets up for the sequel, where I'm sure she'll probably come in the sequel having the dual pistols. Oh, probably. Yeah, because she even takes on that stance that has become so iconic in in the early games, and and I think even in the movie with the with the Angelina Jolie, they they do that sort of wide stance, dual pistols, you know, aimed straight forward. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there was there was even like I guess a, a very overall reference to uh, to the TV series Lost. I mean, you're on this really um, mysterious, somewhat magical island, and there's supernatural things going on, and and uh, a civilization of people who you didn't know were there and, until you sort of stumble across them. And th- this this uh, this group of people turns out to be hostile. I mean, that's that's almost ripped directly out of Lost. I mean, it's it's used differently, but it's it's still very much like Lost. Well, I'll I'll have to take your word for it because I've I've never seen Lost. So one <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite shows. Um, yeah. It's... Yeah. I'll have to maybe put it on my radar. I'm like 
Maybe uh, looking for a new show to watch soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Netflix, so check it okay, out. Yeah. Um. Anyway, what, any uh, any any closing thoughts? I think um, I think we've touched on everything. Uh, unless there's unless there's anything that uh, you want to add to what I just want to mention the uh, collectibles a little bit because um, yeah, I, I thought I, game, I didn't, the collectibles were really well done in this game in my opinion. Okay, okay, I didn't really go for collectibles. Really, I'm not that kind of guy when it comes to games. Yeah, it's um, you know you have the uh, the audio logs or you know the diaries scattered around and they're all well voice acted. Um, and there's like the relics and funny that's a good point yeah yeah there's interesting little trinkets scattered around and sometimes uh, actually she always will uh laura will always uh comment on the uh various relics you'll find and mm-hmm. uh the only one i felt like was really a throwaway were, were the gps uh things they, they didn't really add anything to the game really but uh other than that i feel like the collectibles were really well done much more interesting than, than a lot of other games Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. And I mean, I think there there were other collectibles in there, like uh, like you said, the the GPSs and lighting all the torches in an area, or was it like um, uh, destroying all the posters in the bunker or something like that? Yeah, it kind of had those um, overall challenges. Like each area had its own unique challenge, so it would mm-hmm. be you know uh, destroying the posters or lighting the torches or anything like that. Yeah, just some something for uh, for the completionists out there. Yes, and I, I did all of them. So, <laughs> well, good uh, for you. Yeah, yeah, I had to get those uh, PS4 trophies. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I'm glad that you you brought up those audio logs because, um, I I really thought that the the supporting cast in this game were were so like one dimensional and and like paper thin like. Matthias is just he's just the token evil guy and you know all of Laura's friends are are pretty helpless yeah uh, I, I, I thought it was weird that not even the uh the, the characters in the game seem to care that much when Alex died no um <laughs> Alex was the, the guy uh, on the ship yeah he was the guy yeah. who died on the ship yeah I mean Laura was um somewhat heartbroken um i thought he would get his own little uh uh campfire uh laura's journal entry where she would mention him but she doesn't mention him at all nope nope he (laughs) dies and then uh laura comes back to uh um uh, the shipwreck beach and it's just like hey alex is dead yep okay and they're like who cool what else what else But uh, yeah, those um, um, audio logs, they, they really add a lot to the backstory as far as kind of seeing how the um, the cultist group came together and how the idea of uh, reincarnating Himiko came about. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of get some backstory on Himiko herself from the um, uh, sort of her successor, I guess you would say, um, mm-hmm. and how frightened she is by Himiko. There's a lot of interesting uh, side story to go along with that. Yeah, because I mean, Himiko is essentially a spirit that will um, uh, reside in inside her host, right. if you will. Yeah. But yeah, th- those those audio logs really gave more more interest and more uh, depth to an otherwise very flat set of characters. So yeah, thank you for for bringing that up because I. 
you know, much like the the story in this game, which is almost like you can disregard it. Like these characters are pretty forgettable. I mean, and if anybody liked the story in these characters, that that's fine. I just thought that they were were rather dull. Yeah, like I said, I I, I enjoyed the story, but I like I don't I'm not really too critical on the, a game story in the first place, so I don't really. Uh, you know, I'm sure your your points may be perfectly valid. I will totally agree with the cast, though. Um, they, I thought they were pretty uninteresting for the most part. Mm-hmm. They're 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 very flat. It's just like you know, uh, de facto bad guy. You know, de yeah. facto um, unrequited love interest, and <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I think you know my my, my sort of. Close closing close sorry can't say closing thoughts are um that I did enjoy this game I'm I'm glad that I that I played it but I I often found this difficult to play because of all the um all the brutality that Laura has to go through and that you have to witness on on, on a very um intimate scale I guess you could say I mean like um. Sort of parachuting down that uh, forest area, you know, you see Laura getting whipped and whacked with tree branches, and you see her body flailing and ragdolling, and um, you know, getting in- impaled in that, you know, um, what was it? That sort of river rapid section, very, very, very gory, and you know, I, I, I just very, very bloody, and, and I, I found that a little bit personally too much for me. Yeah, I mean, I I could totally see that um, in hindsight. I wasn't not wasn't really something I really thought too much about. I wasn't really faced by it uh, during the game. Um, overall, I I also really enjoyed this game. I enjoyed it more um, this on this playthrough than the first time I played it, which could have been for any number of reasons. Maybe just because it was a community playthrough. Maybe because I played the definitive edition, or maybe because I didn't torture myself by playing it on hard. But uh, it could, could be a combination, be a combination. Level, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a really good time with it. I'm glad you chose it as a community playthrough. That was uh, that was Stephen who, or sorry, Sean, uh, Sean who uh, chose it. So, a uh, big thank you to him. Um, okay. Yeah. Once again, um, it's it's unfortunate that he couldn't join us on this um, uh, retry on this recording, um, but uh, it. I think I did convey um the most weighty points that he made and um if uh, if if there's anything that i've forgotten he he'll, i'm sure he'll he'll chime in in the uh comments on the forum so yeah um that's uh that's uh tomb raider 2013 um very fun game uh go check it out if you like uh very action-packed um cross between rambo and stealth um you know if you like really highly detailed you know gorgeous vistas uh and just you know a f- uh, an engaging adventure game go check this out so next month we're uh, gonna make things a little bit easier on you guys and uh, we're going to play a very fun and just lighthearted, simple game that will be uh, 
Kirby's Epic Yarn on the Nintendo Wii. Uh, this is something that I'm really looking forward to because Kirby, uh, the Game Boy game, was my first Kirby game and in fact my first Nintendo game. So I, I think I have a little bit of a soft spot for the uh, Kirby franchise. And, uh, you know, I just love how the Kirby games are so, um, if not innovative, they're, they're, they're very creative. Like this is all, all based on yarn and, and fabric. And they're just downright fun games to play. All right, so we will see you uh, next month. We'll be uh, talking about Shining Force and uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn. See you guys. That was a great show. Thank you for listening, and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs and to Metal Fro for joining us on the show. Remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs, discuss the games, or leave feedback about this podcast. Join us next month in our playthroughs for May 2015, in which Rich will be hosting Shining Force for the Sega Genesis and various other platforms, and I will be hosting Kirby's Epic Yarn for the Nintendo Wii. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.